to the Fresh is the Word podcast. I'm your host, Kay Fresh. we got a lot of podcasts for you this week. Uh, first up is my the second part of my interview with Detroit-born, now LA transplant, DJ House Shoes. Uh, DJ uh, hip-hop producer and uh, label owner. His uh, label, Street Corner Music, which we'll get into uh, you know, the slew of releases that he's uh, released this year and coming up and within the next year or so. So uh, that'd be great to uh, finish up that interview. We have another weekly segment of Knuckle Up with V Styles, where we you know go a little everywhere this week. Uh, mostly MMA, of course, but we you know talk about the whole old controversy surrounding uh, Colin Kaepernick. Uh, we talk about uh, New York uh, hip hop artist Ka and that hit article that. Uh, the New York Post put out on him a couple months ago, basically questioning his loyalty to his job as a high-ranking official in the New York Fire Department while being a hip-hop artist. So we discussed that. We discussed uh, some comments that uh, UFC's Tyron Woodley uh, said a few uh, weeks ago about the, the double standards that certain black fighters might get in the company and then uh, we also you know there's big news about uh gsp george st pierre and other news going on into the uh in regards to fighter pay and whatnot that we discuss and then kind of close it out with some wrestling talk with the return of goldberg and remember uh always keep up tabs on fresh's word at www.freshesthepodcast.com i'm also going to be starting some written content on there including the new music column that I just started called In My Inbox. That will just kind of cover cool suggestions that everybody should uh, check out on uh, new songs, videos, EPs, LPs from some cool new bands or, you know, bands that have been around for a while and have a new uh, project out. So be on the lookout for more written content at uh, freshesthepodcast.com. You can also follow us on our social medias at on Twitter and Instagram at Fresh is the Word One. That's Fresh is the Word, then the number one. And then you can uh, give us a like on Facebook at facebook.com slash Fresh is the Podcast. And if you want to support support the podcast in any way, I'm going to try to put up a Patreon page soon. 
once I get everything else kind of flushed out with the, the podcast. But you can also go to freshesthepodcast.com. And there's a link at the top that says uh, support this podcast. And you can, uh, you know, pay, PayPal us, you know, PayPal me a little bit of money. That's cool. Or you can, uh, you know, click on the Amazon link if you're going to buy anything from Amazon. And, uh, you know, if you, as long as you purchase things using that link to get to the website, then they'll uh, throw back some pennies, you know, my way. So uh, let's get on to the interview with DJ House Shoes. I remember, I remember when I first heard about you. Um, I, I, used to always, I used to always go to record time. Like I, but I, I, was, I was never someone, for, for many years, I was never someone that went into the dance rooms or anything like that. Right, right, right. I wasn't really buying records for the first few years. Right. Um, but uh, I'd always go in there, do the tapes and everything, go to the tape section, whatever. Uh-huh. Yep. Um, it wasn't until like I had this job doing um, tech support for uh, UPS shipping software. Where? It was over in like Harper Woods at like seven, like um, seven and Kelly. Right. Like, um, and I was working with all these guys that were just in the scene, you know, that were, um, you know, go down to Cafe Mahogany. Yep. And shit like that, <clears throat> and. That was, that was like first guys I actually got to like talk about all the shit that I was reading in com- in like in magazines and shit like that. Right, right. And right. they were like uh, putting me onto shit, and um, it was those guys that actually uh, put me onto Slum Village. Wow. The first time, um, uh, this one dude. Uh, let me borrow a Fantastic Volume One tape. Wow. And, like this is before I even met you. Right. And I was like, oh, dude, this is sweet. At the time, I'd already, I had, um, I was already kind of trying to dig into, like, um, Detroit hip-hop and rap stuff, because I was already listening to Esham and Nautis mm-hmm. and ICP, House Crazy and stuff. So I had all these other tapes, too. I would just pick up whatever ones were, like, cheap and everything. Right. And I'd already had um, uh, Five Elements Yesteryears, Where? too, you know? And a few other uh, joints, too. But, you know, and I was like, oh, this is pretty cool, man. This is, like, different stuff. Uh, but then it was like, one day we just got on the subject and they brought in, and they, uh, this was actually when I first started working, we were still in training, and they were like, this one dude was like, you have to meet this dude house shoes. <laughs> like, he's like, like the blackest white dude you ever meet. <laughs> so, okay, in my eyes, in my eyes, I'm thinking, oh, fuck. <laughs> I'm thinking you're some dude who, uh, who be talking like, yo, 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 what up, G-Funk? Yo. Right, right, Malibu's most wanted and some shit. Yeah, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, that, like, that's you, man. Right. And so I was like, all right, all right. But then it was like one, one day I was in Melodies and Memories and Gary was like, Oh man, we, uh, do you know how shoes? I'm like, yeah, I've heard the name and everything. Well, he's gonna start working here, you know. Right. And he's like, so like, then we met there, man. And I'm like, well, you're totally different than I <laughs> than I thought you would be, man. Right, right. <laughs> I was like, and then yeah, then rest was history. I'd always be up in there like all yeah, the time, yeah. you know. Yep. Just hanging out, man, because I only lived like a mile away. Right. <laughs> so I'd just be in there all the time, just kicking it with you and talking shit. And then you just started like pounding my head with JD records all the time. Yep. <laughs> yep. Like I got that that uh, remember that uh, that bootleg Slum Twelve. Yeah. Inch? With three songs, four songs on one side, three on a, yeah. three songs on one side, then the instrumentals on the other side. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. And to you for you. 
Yeah, I remember yeah. I remember picking that shit up, man, and I was like, and I was like, oh man, I already heard heard you know the shit like on the tape and everything, and it kind of like connected. Connected. I was like, oh shit, man, I really, I really like because the thing was when I first heard Slum Village, and even first heard that um, uh, Five Elements yesterday's tape, mm-hmm. I really wasn't into that sort of hip hop. Like the sort of boom bappy. A little right. bit soulful. I was like when I first started listening to hip hop, I was really into the uh, West Coast gangster rap, right, that right. sort of sound. Yeah. And for for a few years, I really wasn't into the New York stuff at all. Where? I didn't really like the darker, harder boom bappy shit. Right. But I'll tell you when it all changed, man. It was when I heard Cream from a uh, Wu Tang Clan. Right, right. That's when it changed, and I my my, and that also came at a time when the West Coast gangster rap was kind of going downhill. Yep. Um, <clears throat> death Row stuff wasn't hitting as hard anymore. Yep. Uh, there was just, to- and Wu-Tang Clan's Kareem came out, and I'm like, oh. And then another thing that just hit me, it was, it was that record, um, then Gangstar's Hard to Earn. Man, that's, that was the, that, I went to Street Corner for the first time to get that on CD, and they didn't have it. Like, man, we just sold the last CD, but we got one copy of the import double vinyl left. And I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> that Even was the I had been hearing about this joint for like five, six months. They opened at the end of 92. Or end of 93. Yeah, end of 93. And I, I was like, man, I'm going to go up there and see if they got this shit. Got that motherfucker. And I was like, man, you like, you guys hiring? You need any help? And they're like, well, we don't, we don't. We can't really afford to pay anybody yet. But like, you know. We could pay you in records. <laughs> like, what the fuck? I'm, when am I coming in? You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, that was a shit, man. Yeah, that. Yeah, hard to earn was uh, sort of something that changed like my perception of of, of like East Coast hip hop. Yeah. And it was that, and uh, I think uh, Illmatic too, man. Where was something that. And this is this was all at a time when I didn't know really I could I was only knowing what was in magazines and stuff you right. know I didn't know what like anybody in the actual Detroit hip hop scene was listening to or whatever right. but those those were the, like the records that really kind of changed my my mind about East Coast hip hop and I just started listening to that more you know man Illmatic fucked me up so hard I mean not to be cliche but I remember because. When I was going to Eastern, my roommate Corey, that was my best friend and shit. We always, like, I would always have the tapes. He always had the tapes. Like when we, I remember the only time he beat me to a tape at Eastern is he beat me to uh, 93 till infinity. I was mad as fuck. <laughs> but Elmatic came out in April. I want to say I had it like two weeks early, and I hit up Corey. I told him to hit up the homies and shit. I was like, man, I'm coming through Elmatic. Bring it through. Like get get some weed. We had like mad blunts, and we were in the parking lot of the record store that I used to work at. And an intro came on. I was like, damn, this shit is fucking epic. And fucking New York State of Mind came on. I'm like, fuck, you hear the motherfucking drums and fucking pianos? Are you kidding me? Motherfuckers rapping his motherfucking ass off. Like, motherfuckers had never heard a record like that. Then Life's a Bitch came on. I'm like, yo, it's <laughs> crazy. AZ just killed that shit. But yo, when fucking, when The World Is Yours came on, I felt like my whole entire life was falling apart. <laughs> I felt like like it was too much. Like it was like sensory <laughs> overload. Like that shit came on, 
and I turned the car off and I got out and I just ran. <laughs> <laughs> like it was ridiculous, yo. I was like, ah! Like, where you going? I was like, man, I can't take it, man. Do you hear that shit? <laughs> Fuck. Yeah, let me listen to the rest of the tape. It was like, God damn, it's just the greatest fucking album of all time. Shit. People talk that it was written was better than Illmatic. Suck my dick. I don't know where that's come from recently. Man. I threw that fucking tape out the window of my car when I heard it the first time. That's the first record I smashed into goddamn pieces on the stage was that if I rule the world bullshit. Get the fuck out of here with that shit. That shit was terrible. There's a, there's this like the past few years there's just been this revisionist. Whole, yeah, there's it's nothing crazy. worse than hip hop revisionism. It's it's crazy, man. Like it's it's mind-boggling like the how things have like just all of a sudden just flipped about things. It's like people are going out of their way to just defy anything that's been said before. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and I'm like, how can you say it? there's some really there's some cool songs on there, but there's some really corny yeah, shit on man. there. I'm like, how can you say that's better than are you listening to these? Right. And I was like Somebody said it so well, I can't remember who said it, but they were like, the thing that's fucked up about that is he got off of all that dope shit, like on the drug rap and all that shit. Like, it wasn't an artistic decision. It was a marketing decision. You know what I mean? Yeah. Fuck out of here. It was corny. Firm and all that shit. It was corny, man. There was some good records on there, but it was just like, come on, man, what the fuck? Fucking mobster bullshit. <laughs> Fucking y'all ain't making fucking movies, man. This is corny. Just fucking rap, motherfucker. See, that was and that was a weird time in hip hop because you had a lot of these guys doing that mafioso, yeah, suit wearing crap, you know. Yeah. And I, I, I thought that was kind of corny, man. Yeah, man. Anytime I saw a rapper in a suit, man. <laughs> yeah, man. Big and Jay fucking got everybody on that fucking Wu Tang fucking mafioso raps and shit. I mean, some people did it cool, but yeah. but for the most part, it got out of hand, yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Copycat syndrome. Yeah, but I, yeah, I remember back during that time, um, yeah, like I was saying, there was a few records that sort of changed my mind about what was going on in the East Coast. The f I'll say the first album that I ever bought without ever hearing any of the songs from it that I just bought off of like the hype from it, mm -hmm. from the uh, magazine and stuff, was the War Report from Capone Noriega. I bought that, the, I remember I remember it vividly in my mind. I went over to Harmony House there in, mm -hmm. uh, in East Point, mm -hmm. and, I, and I, I think I even had like a Best Buy sale paper in there so they'll price match it. Oh, wow. I used to do that all the time. <laughs> <laughs> because, yeah, Harmony House would price match it, right. so, and it was oh, just yeah. right there next to my high school, man. Crazy. So I'd go in there, and I bought that like the day it came out, man, and... I was like, and it was everything that I hoped it would. Yeah, <laughs> and the thing that I liked about a certain motherfuckers back in the day is they might have a fucking cornball song on the record, but they would make it the very last song on the tape, so you could yeah. just fast forward to the beginning of the tape. You know what I mean? They did that. I want to say like Royal Flush, someone, another few, like it was a couple other New York motherfuckers that like they had one corny ass song, but they would put it all the way at the end, so you could just skip past the motherfucker. It was great. You know what I loved about the war report, and I just sort of like figured it now out now. Hmm. I felt like that album sort of played out like a radio show. Word. Whereas, because some of the songs were like, 
Like, like it sounded like almost like an episode of like Stretch and Bobito's show. Wow. Where some of the songs are songs, like right. the song that they would play. Yeah. But some of those songs just sound like little freestyle sessions. Right, right, right. You know? And that was what was so sort of great about that album, man. Right. That it went back and forth on like like shit like LA LA. Yep. It sounded like some Man, Capone, Bone, fucking, I mean, my shit, of course, is never dialogue. Oh, that's one of the... That's the one I used to play at St. Andrews all the fucking time. Motherfuckers would hear them piano stabs and the burr, burr, and motherfuckers would just start running. Man, they just start right. running around in fucking that's, circles, yo. And that's the drums would so come hard, in man. fucking hard as hell, yo. Man, bless Buckwild for that. Man, <laughs> fuck. That shit was so hard, man. That shit still, I still have to listen to that song at least like a couple times a month. <laughs> to this day, dude, it still sounds fresh, man. Right? Hell yeah. But it's funny. CNN Channel 10. It, it's funny, like, when you kind of look back to all those records that came out during all that time, there's a lot of stuff that doesn't seem like it ages well, but then there's some stuff that sounds fresher than that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. Like, like the infamous. Yeah, that's my that's that that's the best album. Well, I can't. I've, I've learned to watch how I say things. That's my favorite. Yes, I I don't like saying my, the best either. I like saying my favorite. That's my favorite album, period. Like all genres, the Infamous is the most perfect album I've fucking heard in my lifetime. That shit, man. Fuck that shit. Just it just takes you right back to the. It's it's never sounded any different than the first time you fucking heard it. You know yeah, what I mean? it still sounds. And it's crazy when you, when you kind of look back at, you know, with Mob Deep, like, Havoc and Prodigy, they were, like, 18, 19 when they, mm-hmm. when they made that shit. And during that time, you were, you were kind of coming out of the West Coast gangster rap, stuff from the 80s, the gangster rap, the, you know, Eric B. and Rakim stuff, mm-hmm. Pete Rock stuff, all this other stuff, where you hit a lot of this hip-hop and street rap that, to a certain extent, the people that were listening to it were like, it was kind of a glorification almost at times. Yeah. Or people listening to it were like, oh man, I want to be that. Yeah. Right, right. But when you listen to the infamous, that shit scared the shit out of you. <laughs> I'm like, did you really want to go to Queensbridge? Right, that shit was hard as hell. Oh no, you don't want to. <laughs> they, they were kind of scaring the shit out of you. There was nothing like sunny about that album. Right, 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 right. And it's still, and there's, there was a, a tension about it. Yeah. That is still very real yeah. today, you know. Hell yeah! And that's what was so great about it. And why it's why it's skits and all that shit. Pop, 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 pop. That shit was fucking fantastic. That's why it's it's still fresh today, man. Because it, it's stuff that like hasn't gone away, you yeah. know. It's something so real that it felt it felt real, you know. Yeah. And and it's crazy that they were like so young to be able to. They didn't. They didn't sound young though. Hell they, no. They felt like, and but they felt like they had like this whole world on their shoulders yeah. on that record, you know. Man, the fucking beats, man. Oh, that but motherfucker, man. Like I've been getting, I've been finding like some some of the samples, and like havoc, man. Like he was fucking. His production techniques that he was using on that record were fucking amazing, man. Like. It was funny when, like, when it was a couple years ago when people finally realized what the Shook ones yeah, 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 sample yeah. was, and it was a record that, like, everybody yeah, had. fuck yeah. <laughs> Yo, the fucking survival of the fittest shit fucked me up so hard. It's like a fucking... Man, these fucking jazz records he was fucking with were funny as hell, man. Like, and just the pieces that he chose to fuck with and what he transformed them into was just fucking mind-blowing when you go back and peep that shit. 
Hell yeah. Yeah, another another record that I feel like sounds fresher here in 2016. It aged probably the best, I think, is Biggie's Life After Death. That's the perfect album. That's like the perfect album for everybody, in my opinion. Yeah. Because like, the, the fucking radio motherfuckers would... Fuck, they fuck with the street joints off there, and the street motherfuckers fuck with the radio joints. You know yeah. what I mean? Like it's such a well balanced, well sequenced album. Yeah, that's just fucking fantastic. I fuck with Big man. Yeah, I, I can listen to that album like <clears throat> right now, and it sounds like it came out today. Yeah, I don't really fuck with uh, Ready to Die like that. Motherfuckers hold that shit up real high, but it hasn't. It hasn't right. aged. It hasn't aged poorly, but it hasn't necessarily aged that well to me. Know what I mean? Yeah. And when and when you kind of like and if you sit down and just study life after death, that births so much stuff that's like like relevant today. Right. Just the ideas of like you you listen to life after death and you're like this this is like Rick Ross is doing all of this yep. shit. Yep. <laughs> right. Like it's a blueprint for so much shit like that's been around since it came out, you know? Right. And just, the, and just the, even with the way it was recorded, mixed and mastered, sounds like, it doesn't sound like it was made in 96 and 97, you right. know what I'm saying? Yeah, <laughs> that's crazy. That's just gonna be 20 years old next year. That's fucking incredible. I still remember when I heard that motherfucker died. I had just started fucking with Jay at Chick, Jenny Jones show mm-hmm. shit, you know what I mean? Like, that was like, that shit might even have been like two weeks before, or a week before, March 9th. Yeah, it was in February. So yeah, it was like the week after the shit aired or some shit. And I remember I was over there, I, was, I woke up, and they were just playing Biggie. I was like, why are they playing so much Biggie? And Biggie died. Like, Fuck, you kidding me? I don't remember where I was when I heard when the when, when Pop died. I don't know. I was a Biggie fan. I wasn't on Pop like that. I like fucking. Tupacalypse now, like the first album. After Juice, I didn't, I wouldn't feel him after Juice. It seemed like he just became fucking. He's a brilliant motherfucker. He's a brilliant revolutionary mind. But the music, and I just never really believed it. Like when he he turned into fucking uh, Bishop. You know what I mean? <laughs> I don't understand how people couldn't figure that out. I was I was a big Tupac fan when he was still alive, but. After he passed, mm. like I felt, I felt a lot of like the releases after it, sort of, and all that music that came out, sort of like, yeah, oversaturated my mind with him. Yeah, definitely. Like, and like, and that's like a whole subject we, you know, you can talk about with Dilla and stuff where right. the shit that happens after these guys pass away, kind of negates. Can really fuck with the work that they did when they were here. You yeah, know what I mean? there's a, there's a reason why. That shit went out. That shit went out, man. Yeah, man. Like every once in a while, there might be a cool song that yeah. like, like, oh shit, that's kind of cool. I wish I, you know, you put that out. But right, there's always that. Like we were talking about, you know, before. There's that revisionist history that mm-hmm. that happens when someone passes, you know, and some people have had it worse than others, you know. Yeah, definitely. Like, you know, people, you know, with Biggie, it hasn't really been 
you right. know, too bad. And, True. And with Pac, it wasn't bad, but it was just an oversaturation. Yeah. People like Big L, it people kind of left that alone, you know. Right, right. Uh, but with someone like Dilla, it just. Yeah, I just think the people that really loved his music when he was here. I mean, me personally, it's I don't fuck like I kind of. When I hear his name brought up, I'm just kind of bracing for some cornball shit. Whether it's a cornball motherfucker talking about it or or just a corn... You know what I mean? Yeah. It is what it is, man. Are you talking about Della? Huh? Like, are you talking about Della now? Or yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's... It, it's to the point... I mean, after the fact, we all got, like, very emotional about shit that was happening. Right. And we all said some shit that... Maybe you cross the line, you oh, know. Of course, 100%. 100%. But it never really changed how we feel about how the shit was happening. True. You know. That's true. And it was all because a lot of us were around when he was, you know, paying attention to music <clears throat> when he was still around. Right. And we're like, this isn't how it, w- it was. Like, nah. what the fuck y'all coming with this shit for, right. man? Right. Yeah, but I mean, I think at the end of the day, it's shown me that it's actually been very beneficial, the whole situation, because it just taught me to do my own shit. Jay used to always be like, Shoes, man, you need to do a record. YZ, Shoes, man, do a record. You know, you can only carry another man's torch for so long until you realize that, you know, where the fuck is your torch at? You know what I mean? I had, like, that situation kind of lit my torch. Yeah. You know what I mean? It wouldn't have been no Let It Go album without any of that. You know what I mean? Like, that shit, let it go. That's where the name of my fucking album came from. Let that shit go. You know what I mean? Like, it's time to do house shoe shit. And I fucking, you know, I run my motherfucking mouth once in a while, but it's, that was my man. You know, that was a friend of mine. And, and I'm a passionate dude to a fault. Definitely to a fault. And the whole I don't give a fuck shit, that might not work in my favor sometimes, but I, most of the time I really just don't give a fuck, you know? But, yeah. The street corner music, all this shit, man. This is what I'm, you know, I got priorities. This shit has taught me what really matters. What are you really taking your time and, and, and emotion and passion and using it on? Like, don't, don't do that, shoes. You know what I mean? Like, don't do that, shoes. Yeah, it's it's kind of it's kind of funny. Sometimes you're not even aware about it. Like, you'll like spend an absorbing amount of time, and it'll just become part of your life that you're sort of dedicating to others. Yeah, and you don't even realize how long it's actually. Why I had to move? Yeah, that's why I had to leave. People be like, "Why did you leave?" It's because fuck, I fucking couldn't take care of myself here. I mean, I was taking care of myself. I was DJing. I was making great money and shit, but I wasn't doing any. I was. DJ, <laughs> yeah, big fucking deal. You know what I mean? Ain't no legacy in that. Who gives a fuck about DJing? I never traveled outside of the city. I never went anywhere. Like the first time I DJed outside of Detroit was like three months before I moved. I went to Cleveland. Yeah, I remember that. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, I remember you, you telling went, me they're like, you know, this is the first time I've ever after going outside of here, man. I went to fucking LA, and I've been to forty countries, bro. Ten years later, I've been to forty fucking countries. Like, get off the block. That's the biggest fucking thing I could ever tell anybody. The best advice I could tell anybody is get off your fucking block. So much 
people have so much passion for their hood and they, they, you know what I mean? That's cool, man. Like, God bless you, but you better get the fuck up out of here and see this motherfucker because it might not be here tomorrow. You know what I mean? Right. I have seen almost four corners of this fucking earth and I'm blessed being able to travel the motherfucking world playing music that I like. I ain't got to cater to fucking nobody. Fuck, the dumbest shit I've ever heard in my life is play for the fucking crowd. <laughs> what type of corny-ass motherfucker are you? You know what I mean? Like, play for the crowd. Fuck the crowd. I'm the de- that's, like, that's like telling a, a teacher to teach for the students. Or, you know what I mean? Like, teach what they want you to teach them. No, motherfucker, you about to get these lessons. You know what <laughs> I mean? I'm a fucking teacher when I'm on them tables. You know, I'm going to introduce you to some, the, some of the best shit you never heard in your life. If you want to listen to the fucking radio, go out to your fucking car. Go in your fucking car. Go sit in the fucking uh, waiting room with the doctor's office or some shit. I'm not going to fucking play that bullshit. It's pointless. Yeah, I think that's been been a huge problem in sort of like the music DJ culture. Yeah. Is that, especially, you know, there's been an onslaught of technology where more people can do it. But with that, all these people are very susceptible and very willing to play to the crowd. Yeah. To where now it's the DJ is not a performing artist anymore. They're basically a jukebox. Yeah, 100%. And, and, it, and it makes all of us that want to actually kind of school people, yeah. it makes it much more frustrating right. and a lot less satisfying when all you're doing is getting requests right. and people are just assuming you're going to go through it. And then if you give any sort of inch in that way, they take a foot, you know? Right, right, right. <laughs> and then they expect you to, like... And and this is another thing, too, I, I feel like... At least, okay, back in the day, the radio motherfuckers might just be a part of the radio. Like, like, like the radio shit. Right. Might not like the underground shit or whatever. Right. But the underground people might like, like the underground stuff and, like... Yeah. It might have a wide range. Now, I think we're in this po- point where everybody has their small little... Thing that they want, and that's all they want to hear. Right. Like the underground cats just want to hear this, this little small sector of underground. Right, right. Like all they want to hear is like early 2000s rap or hip hop, whatever. Right. And this person wants to just hear like underground hip hop shit, and this person just wants, there's no like wide reach. I feel See, like. And a lot people, of people are just fucking stupid because like when Gorilla Black came out, we were like, man, this shit is fucking horrible. <laughs> his shit didn't get no fucking spins nothing came of that yeah. you know what I mean he was a fucking clone he was a fucking cookie cutter like they, he was like a test tube rapper alright we need a replacement for Biggie nah motherfucker <laughs> now you got a motherfucker like Future is already just that's just that's just my personal taste that shit just sounds fucking stupid I'm 41 years old motherfucker that music is not for me <laughs> right. and guess what motherfucker it ain't for your old ass neither motherfuckers look silly as hell trying to fit in with this fuck shit but then they fucking test two baby ass designers, motherfucker, <laughs> and motherfuckers love him. They're like, oh man, this is the shit. You can't even tell the difference. You know what I mean? Like, don't you understand how fucking stupid that shit is? Like, this motherfucker just cloned the most popular motherfucker. He has absolutely nothing to offer. I don't get it, yo. Like, people are just fucking stupid. Right, and it's like, I'm not trying to, you know, sit here and sound like a bunch of grizzled old vets or whatever, right, but... Right, but we are. <laughs> but it's, it's just weird that, that coming from we, where we've come from, that 
I feel like there's not that place, there's, there's not a lot of places, at least here, where there's that sort of open-mindedness mm -hmm. towards, like, urban music. Where people are willing to be exposed to new shit. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's, it's all these, like, little, there, there's some that exist, but they're so very super niche right. that, like, they're not the people that regularly go out, you know? Right, right. Like, I, um, I recently uh, opened the Foreign Exchange show right. at the Majestic Theater. Right. So this is, like, a thousand motherfuckers in there. Wow, they came out like that? For yeah. Them? That's fucking fantastic, man. So, yeah, like, I've, I've done three uh, um, Foreign Exchange shows in Detroit over right. the past, like, six years. First two at the Magic Stick. Right. It went from, like, four or five hundred to Magic Stick stole, sold out to, like, um, Majestic almost sold out, you know? Uh, and every time with that crowd, and especially this last part... Urban AC is fuck, yo. It's like... Urban adult contemporary. You better not play no rap shit up in there. Right. No, I played all rap shit. Oh, word. I played all hip-hop shit, you wow, know? Wow, word. And the crowd just loved it, man. We're going along with it, man. Oh, word. Yeah. I thought they would have been a little bougie on that shit. Oh, no, man. You are playing, like, classics, though, right? Yeah, it was all, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was all like classics. Yeah. Stuff that they came up on. Stuff that they know? fucked with before they gave up on rap music. Yeah. Right? <laughs> so, and it was cool, like, that, you know, people... There is a little niches of people that will actually you know, come out and fuck with that. But those aren't the regular people that go out to the bars right, all right, the time right. and right. and shit like that, you know? Right. And it's it's just it's it's almost a little sad to that that sort of open mindedness isn't as present anymore. Right. So a lot of times I feel and you know, tell me if you agree, it's like as time goes on there's this more People try to put on this sort of sense of obligation to like and respect shit just because it's popular. Yeah, fuck that. <laughs> so that's the dumbest shit I ever heard in my life. You know what I mean? Like, I I cringe anytime someone says we gotta respect this hustle. Like, I don't no, care. No, I don't. Give a fuck about your hustle. <laughs> fuck, I, what what art are you creating? That's all that matters. You right. know what I mean? I don't give a fuck how much money you made off of that shit. Get the fuck out of here, man. I, I always cringe off that and. <clears throat> I, you know, I like man, that motherfucker got money shoes. You sold records, man. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> fuck you, man. I didn't know you were that stupid. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, it's but it's 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 kind of crazy when you're sort of living this life where you kind of dedicate so much time and energy to other people and almost forgot about taking care of yourself. You exactly. Know? That's something that I I sort of realized recently. The past two years is the first time that in my life that I don't have anybody on a consistent basis or anything laying all their problems on me. Right, right, right. And it feels fucking great. Yeah, man. First time in my adult life, man. I, just, I realized, and I didn't realize that this was happening. Right, right. And I'm like, holy shit, if I go back every year, every couple of years, consistently, there's been someone in my life that's laid everything on me. Fuck them. And it, it wasn't until my last relationship was ruined my life almost right. that I was like, fuck, I can't do this anymore. Hell no, nah, man. And the last two years almost have been fucking spectacular, Good man. Good shit. Yeah, because you, you was in a shithole for a minute, bro. Oh, very much so. And yeah, yeah, it's good to see you doing good, man. Yeah, man. Like... It, it, and it's crazy when you got when you kind of get into a place where you're like, 
in the dumps, rock bottom, you realize so much shit that you've been tripping on in the past ain't shit. Right, right. And you're like, oh, fuck, like, (laughs) I'm, and and then you realize, too, that you're a lot stronger of a person than you give yourself credit for. Right. So, that's that's a lot of the shit that, I've fucking learned a lot of shit in the past couple years. Yeah, I just never, I mean, I don't know, man, I never, I never was in it for me. I was never in it for me in the first place, but I, but you know, it needs to become that eventually. You know what I mean? And just getting out of this motherfucker, like I, I, I always used all my assets and all my resources to help everybody reach their goals or get closer to them. You know what I mean? And yeah, I just had to get the fuck out of here. When you first started, when you kind of going, was it was it sort of about for you? Aside from just loving the music and the mm-hmm. art and everything, was it sort of just finding something to be a part of? Mm, not really, because I always, I mean, I've been a hip-hop motherfucker since, I've had motherfuckers coming to me like I was that dude since like the fifth grade, yo. You know what I mean? I, I was kind of, I was same pretty much, shit, yeah, I was the same right? shit, yeah. And it was just like a natural progression. To go from being the dude that had all the tapes first to the yeah. dude that had the fucking promo twelve inches first to the dude that was playing the motherfuckers on stage every Friday, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I feel like that was similar with me, but it was like when I got old enough, I was just like I wanted to be around more people that actually knew about. The I just the wanted life. to have the shit first, so that's <laughs> how I got back. That's how I got back into records because I was buying records in the first place when I started buying music. Then I got tapes, and I got rid of the tapes, and got the CDs, but then I found out the right label, 12 inches, is how you get the shit first. So, fucking record time, Melodies and Memories, Car City. I was, You're like, how do I how do I get those? I got them, <laughs> but now it's like, fuck, I got them. I got all the shit first. Like, And I love putting people up on music, yeah. so I had to figure out how to get my ass up on that stage. I was bringing a little fucking handful of records down to St. Andrews every Friday night. Asking for like the last 10 or 15 minutes. That's hard to have a motherfucker give you the end of the night. Right. They want to close it up. Oh, yeah. And I was doing cool, little cool shit. They was respecting. I was doing like fucking like putting like Marvin Gaye acapellas over like Black Moon beats and shit. <laughs> yeah. Silly shit. But different. People weren't doing it then. Yeah, man. They was feeling it. And that one night, the stars aligned. I got that fucking job. And I was like blessed to be basically the resident of Detroit. Not just St. Andrews Hall. Like this shit was... A, Shit was real for me. I was responsible. That's what it was. It was my res- I, I was responsible to the city, and I was fucking very blessed and appreciative to have that spot. But I think the reason the shit fe- kind of fell apart after I left is because nobody gave a fuck as much as I did. That's why Proof was fucking mad at me. You know, God bless. We fucking he pieced it out with me the night before the night he died. Like he hit me on MySpace, like, three hours before he got killed. Like, what up, Shoes? I'm working on the next record. I need some beats. We we wasn't talking. <clears throat> we damn near came to blows at Northern Lights one night because he was like, man, you can't fucking move, bro. I'm moving. <laughs> I'm moving to Arizona. If you move to L.A., this shit is done because we're the head and shoulders of this motherfucker. Nobody else cares. And he's right. No one else fucking cares. It is what it is. But what I'm doing now is it's a fucking, you know, it's a progression of what I was doing back then for the city, but it's like for the whole universe. I'm documenting shit now. Like I'm putting records out. Not I'm still playing records, but my focus is putting that shit on plastic. And like the way I, if I was to have a DJ set, you know, I'm I'm exposing 
my favorite sounds to people, and now it's like that ain't good enough for me. Like we, I need the street corner music. I, I, I like to say that street corner music is a label for people that deserve records, and it's both sides of the coin. It's the fucking the customer and the the, the music lover that's buying it, but it's records that wouldn't exist if it wasn't for me. Like shit that touches me, and I'm gonna like this motherfucker's about to have a record. You ain't never had a record. You probably never would if it wasn't for me. It ain't even about that though. But like that's what it is now. Just like back in the day, playing records at St. Andrews on a Friday night. Like, I'm making those motherfucking records now. And I'm very proud of my fucking achievements. I put out 30 fucking records in the last fucking two and a half years. I got 30 more in various stages of, you know, production right now. Do you remember the sort of moment, the day that you just like, okay, this is what I'm going to do next. The street corner music thing is going to be... What I'm gonna do, man. Yeah, it was the day that I fucking like when I realized that when I I couldn't come up with a name for the new whatever the new brand was gonna be. I didn't want House Shoes name in it. I didn't want House Shoes records or House Shoes recordings or any House Shoes shit. I wanted it to be something bigger than myself. And it clicked. And I was like, fuck. I mean, it was like a week. I just couldn't think of a fucking name. And then I was like, fuck. Street Corner Music. Like that was the first platform that I had to push this shit, to sell records. Yeah, for as long as I've known you, sort of, the thing that, I guess, the thing from around here that sort of was like the iconic thing for you mm-hmm. was always Street Corner. Hell yeah. Like, ahead of anything else, ahead of St. Mm-hmm. Andrews or whatever, you yep. always went back to yeah. Street that was the, Corner. They were the first motherfuckers to trust me and, and to put money up, you know what I mean? Give me a budget. They gave me half of the back wall, you know what I mean? Like, that was the back wall at Street Corner was all fucking, like, pricey jazz and, you know, soul and rock records. It was all, there was no hip-hop records there right before I started working there. I got half of the back wall, and I was slanging them motherfuckers. You could come hear me at St. Andrews on a Friday night, playing the brand new shit, and then you could come and buy the shit from me the next day. And that's where it really got serious, because, like, yeah. when you get the commerce involved in it, like, it's better for everybody. Yeah. Fucking YG, Zoe, I'm selling hundreds and hundreds of dollars worth of their product every every month. And fucking, you know, that was like jazz and jams. That was the last spot that I worked at when I was out here. Yeah, but just going from that whole timeline is crazy. I went from me selling the shit that I was playing on a Friday night to inspire other cats to make music and eventually and inevitably be selling their music hand over fist. Yeah. You know? So... Lucky dude, man. So, kind of, you know, take me through the timeline of when, of actually establishing, you know, street corner music. I was like 2012, and I was on some like daddy duty shit. Like, I was still with my children's mother at the time, and she wanted to go back to school. So, I was just like kind of stir crazy. I was like, I gotta do something because I'm not doing shit. And Nameless sent me a batch of beats. And I was like, yo, this shit's crazy. We do like a beat tape online. Start some shit off. Did a couple of those. I got the whole idea for the gift series. Like, the reason we called it a gift is because it was a free downloadable beat tape that would come out on every holiday. And like, after two or three of those, I was like, fuck that. Let's, I hit up Joe at Fat Beats. I was like, man, what's up on some records? Like, I think I figured it out finally. It was off to the fucking races after that. You know what I mean? Ten gift albums, Ellingsworth, fucking 
Yeah, it was cool because when you did when you started doing these, it was like it was still like sort of a boutique thing with like the vinyl. Yeah. You know, you had a you know a limited run. Yeah, one batch. You know, nothing That's more, it. nothing less. You know. Yeah. And you know you're able just to you know get rid of those things, sell those, you know, and it's, yeah. it's cool, you and know. Keep it moving, keep on to the moving. next one, you know what I mean? I ain't got, I ain't got time to, you know, be worrying about uh, overstock in a warehouse <laughs> and shit. I just want to shit to get, get it out, get it done, you know, and increase in value. I'd rather fucking sell 300 copies of a record for $20 a piece and, Bitches are valuable. Like I mean, I put records out last year, like not even a year ago, for fifteen dollars that you can't buy for less than a hundred dollars. <laughs> not doing this shit to get rich, man. I'm doing this shit to document what the fuck real art is in 2016. People that are in charge of the information are not the best bet sometimes. You know what I mean? I don't really think it's a lot of people. That know this shit like I do. I got access to a lot of motherfuckers, and I think my ear for beats is probably one of the best in the world. You know what I mean? So I got to use that for the benefit of everybody and just keep these fucking records coming. You know? And how would you how would you describe like sort of like the people that you've you know chosen to put records out? For the most part, like ninety percent, ninety five percent of the cats are like people. They're friends of mine. You know what I mean? Or the one person away, you know, like Knowledge put me up on Twami. Uh, I met T. White through Quella in Denmark. It's all in the circle. Like, it's not, I'm not reaching out to that many motherfuckers I don't know. And, uh, yeah, man. Records for people that deserve them. A lot of fucking talent. And it's been cool, like, uh, especially with someone like, uh, like Aliensworth, mm -hmm. he's someone from Detroit that kind of might, he kind of gets stuck in that Detroit bubble where he's just kind of hanging around doing right. the shows around here, you know, yeah. at art spaces or whatever. Right. But putting out a record of his, you know, exposed him to like. He deserves a record. Like he did, <laughs> he, like a motherfucker like him, a motherfucker like Chains. Like Chains' record comes out next week. He deserves a record. He's taking care of so many motherfuckers, it's time for somebody to take care of him. You yeah. know what I mean? And it's so easy for me to make these records, bro. Like, I'm, I don't know. I'm fucking savant or what? But it's just <laughs> easy. Like, I can go through 200 beats in, like, 30 minutes and pick out the fucking 20 illest joints, and then it takes me, like, maybe fucking 30 minutes to sequence those joints into a proper album. And then I see artwork in my head, I draw that shit out, and then I hit up dirt and have him execute it. Like, all this shit is me. All this shit is me. There's not really any records on, there's only like one or two records maybe, uh, I'm trying to think, maybe not even, on Street Corner that I haven't literally put together every piece. You know what I mean? Motherfuckers send me anywhere from like 50 to 200 beats. And... I built the record. I picked all my, it's immediate. It's, it's emotion based, like, shit's gotta strike me in the ne in the first five seconds I'm listening to it or it's on to the next one. Like, I ain't got time for this <laughs> shit. I might have missed a couple dope joints like that, but it's just how I do it, you know? It's gotta be immediate, an immediate reaction to the music within me. 
And yeah, we keep it going from there. Let's sort of, let's sort of talk about the lineup that you have uh, of uh, records coming out recently and coming up. Um, um, have uh, Chains coming out with a uh, new record. Chains, yep. Drugs um, comes out the same day. Cool. Yeah, talk about the, them. You know why? Um, you know why you think they were you know such a good fit. Well, I've always loved Chains shit. I've put together. We've done two takes prior to this. We did experiment and instrumentation uh, like six years ago, and uh, and then we did the Renegade Hands joint. And he's just always been dope. He's provided. You know, albums and albums and albums in the you know in the last ten years for you know he's he's done albums for Mo Dirty you know Fat Father Miss Corona uh, Shimmy Bango so many cats you know what I mean a lot of shit for Marv and just a lot of I mean producers have always really kind of been taken for granted taken advantage of in Detroit you know what I mean right right. That's why Dilla left. He's just tired of motherfuckers knocking on his door looking for beats and shit. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> but yeah, uh, drugs. I can't remember how I got hit to drugs. But we got him a fucking Grammy nomination. You know what I mean? Like, it was a joint on his, on volume 10 of The Gift. Before I went physical with it. <clears throat> and the homie Ty, and I for Aftermath, gave it to Dre. Dre picked the fucking easy joint. Ended up on Compton. He got a fucking Grammy nomination. And it's crazy because I'm so far removed from anything industry-related. Like, <laughs> I don't play the game. Uh, you know what I mean? Or they always talk about the rap game. I'm fucking 41 years old. I ain't got time for no fucking games. <laughs> right. But me doing something that's just so based in non-industry terms, you know what I mean? For that to go all the way to the top shows you it's, you know... When you're doing some real shit, you know, it, it it can be noticed. Yeah. So I'm just going to keep on doing what the fuck I'm doing. About to drop this Jake One shit in a minute. Got the test presses the other day. Oh, man, what else? Oh, uh, we had the Steven Tyler joint with us. Steven one. Tyler, yep. T-White. T-White. That's fucking hilarious. It's like a comedy beat tape. Yeah, I, I listen to it, man. It's fucking. <laughs> yeah, that's that's just really good, man. Yeah, talk about those guys, man. Man, Scott's dope. You know, he produced one of the best albums of the last ten years, in my opinion, with the fucking uh, Denmark Vesey Cult Classic record. Uh, T White. Fucking dirty ass beats, man. And he's got so many of them. We got actually got another record with T White coming out called the Whitest Album. Kind of a play on the Beatles shit. That was the whitest album. It's going to be dope. But yeah, the Steven Tyler shit should be out in like October or November. Uh, got a John Wayne album. Here you go, instrumental album. There's so much heat on there. That's going to be like November. Yeah, John Wayne's, you know, he's put out a lot of records <coughs> with different people. You know, how is it to, to work with him? It's dope. You know, it's real simple. It's just, you know, just send me the fucking beats. <laughs> it's easy. Um... Siege, man. This cat Siege Monstrosity. He's from Detroit. He's out there. He's fucking, he fucks with Dre and like produced a majority of like Tyrese's last album, but he got slaps too. Like that shit's coming out probably October, November too. So ending the year with a lot of fucking records. And then I'm doing these tapes now too because we do this shit called Record Store Night out there. 
It's really dope at this record store called High Fidelity. Um, it's my street corner music and the homies New Los Angeles. It's the homie Cone and Lewis's label and Maria. And like we each have like featured releases every month. So that's why I'm fucking with these tapes now because the record shit, man. It's expensive and you gotta fucking wait. You know, you gotta pay $2,000 to get 300 records printed up. And then you gotta wait for fucking five months till the bitches are ready. Or you can spend like $400 on like 200 tapes. And they're ready in five days. You know what I mean? So Yeah, the whole vinyl boom, whatever. Yeah, is. record store day fucked everything up. That's why we do record store night. <laughs> motherfuckers pressing up 10,000 limited edition. It ain't limited, motherfucker. It's 10,000 of them. Right. And it's a record that you already fucking probably... Yeah, it's fucking... Whipped <laughs> so Cream and Other Delights, Herb Alpert. Like, they literally <laughs> reissued that shit last year. That shit is in every fucking thrift store, like five copies, every dollar store. What the right. fuck are y'all doing? <laughs> What the fuck are y'all doing? Like, and the whole shit was was began. It was they started it to promote independent record stores and independent record labels. And now the majors have fucking bottlenecked the whole fucking vinyl production industry. Yeah, where motherfuckers can't even get their shit pressed on time for record store day. Yeah, and it's hurting all the indies, you know. Man, Man we're gonna do one. We're, I'm gonna do a fuck record store day record. <laughs> It'll be watch fucking Black Friday. It's going to have a sticker on it that's going to say, fuck record store there. <laughs> I'm a fucking asshole. <laughs> um, recently you put out a, um, before, you know, releases that you already did, you um, put out Swarvy. Mm-hmm. Um, talk about, you know. Swarvy might be, well, Swarvy is definitely probably one of the most talented motherfuckers I've ever seen create music. Um. I met him through the homies. He just came out to L.A. and immediately became a very uh, strong part of the community. And it's fucked up because when you start a record label, he's one of the motherfuckers that's like, God damn, it's like frustrating because every time you link up with Swarvy, he plays you like three hours of new music and it's all fucking incredible. It's like, fuck, I can't put all this shit out. (laughs) He's got like five or six projects out right now. He's fucking incredible. It's like you already have this project already set, and then he plays you more, and you're like, fuck. Yeah, right. Like, <laughs> fuck, man. This is better than the Yeah. Show. It's crazy. Swarby's a fucking monster. Yeah. Find that motherfucker. Go to his band camp and buy all that shit right now. And then uh, you had a uh, record with Stro. Stro Elliott, yes. Yeah. I should get the test presses on that this week. Um, he's a monster. He's been a, a pillar in the beat scene in L.A. I remember, I think the first time I saw him was at Boombox maybe about seven, eight years ago. And he destroyed that shit. Um, yeah, really, really fucking excited about that record. That's another one that's going to be like October, November. That's his debut album, like his debut fucking record. Records for people who deserve them, you know what I mean? Yeah, then you had a record with uh, DJ Harrison. Tape. Tape, yeah. Yeah, we did Tape the Slash Joint. He's a fucking alien. I love that he don't give a fuck. Like, he, his sound is his sound, and he don't care what anybody has to say about it. I would have really, I really wanted to do vinyl on that, on the slide shit, but it's just, the shit is just so lo-fi that I don't think it would have translated to vinyl that well. And then just people are just stupid. I don't want to have record stores dealing with people, like, bringing it back, saying it, 
sound like I've literally seen that happen before. Like, <laughs> it'll be like a record where there's like record static sampled into the shit. Yeah. And like a motherfucker will come back and be like, man, it's scratched. No, it's not, you stupid motherfucker. Nah, yeah, Shouts to Harrison. He's actually in LA right now doing some shit. He's, I think he's got some stuff on deck with Wolf and Stone's Throw. Yeah, didn't he put didn't he put out a record with on uh, uh, Shadow's new label? Yeah, yeah, tape. He did yeah, tape. Yeah, that shit, yeah, that shit was dope. Yeah. Then oh, uh, yeah. you had some stuff with uh, 14KT also, man. Yeah, yeah, I'm happy about that. They're all. I think that's gone now. I think they're all sold out. The uh, 14 Killer Tape. He put that out online a few years ago, and I kind of retooled it into like darker, heavier. There was like some lighter moments in the original kind of inception of that but I wanted it to all kind of be a little darker heavy hitting killer tape shit you know what <laughs> I mean yeah we did the tapes and fucking man actually him and Stro have been working together and that shit is fucking fearsome the shit they're doing together I got a situation with fucking uh, the homie in Australia he's gonna start working street corner music down there and probably gonna get like three or four tours a year out of it so that's just an extension of this shit. Like, it's dope. Like, get motherfuckers records and then let's send them to the other side of the fucking world. Right. Let them play that shit for everybody, you know? It's really excited about, yeah, about the growth and just the way everything's going for Street Corner, man. I'm not pressed, though. I'm just, you know, I don't have a publicist. The, the records are the, the, the records, the consistency of the records is my publicist, you know what I mean? Because when you're doing 300 copies, it's not a lot of, you know, motherfuckers ain't making a lot of money. Real shit. It's like a fucking $1,200 profit. You know what I mean? Split that between the both of us. The digital shit I'm trying to figure out. You know what I mean? How to how to promote that to people and how to get them get the people to buy digital music and all that shit. But just trying to figure out how to maximize this shit and let these kids get as much as possible as they can. At the end of the day, they got a fucking record in the world. It's going to never go anywhere. So that's that's the best part. You know what I mean? Just got to figure out how to make the most of it. Definitely. What's, you know, what do you what do you see is like the future of, of Street Corner? It's more records, man. Um, yeah, man. Slow and steady wins the race. You know what I mean? Definitely like tortoise versus the hare type shit. Motherfuckers out here losing their breath every day. Calm down and just do it one step at a time. It's just no, I don't know. I mean, I, I can't tell you because I don't have time to look to the future because I'm doing so much right now. Right, You know right. what I mean? All I know is fucking, let's go to the street corner music in progress folder and it's, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. <laughs> 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22 records. 22 records ahead. I'm already, you know, fucking records, man. <laughs> That's what the future holds. The beginning, hopefully the beginning of a, of a lot of careers that will continue to flourish. You know what I mean? I'm not signing up. I do all my shit on the fucking handshake. I don't do paperwork, none of that shit. You shake hands, I'm going to do a record, you're going to get a little money, and you're going to get a box of records, and you're going to do some shows. If someone wants to come snatch you up, come. 
I'm not trying to have people sign their life away to me. I don't give <laughs> right. a fuck about that shit. I don't have time to go worrying about their lives. I'm worried about my life. People might think that's stupid or foolish or, you know, man, you, you got to get them locked in. I don't have to get motherfuckers locked into nothing, man. This ain't, this ain't the Billboard Music Awards. I don't give a fuck about none of that shit. All I care about is capturing that shit, putting it on plastic, keeping it moving to the next one. I mean, yeah, that, that's really, that's such an old way of thinking. Mm-hmm. Because in actuality, you know, like, there's not a lot of, records don't sell a lot, you know? Right. So you can't, like, it, why would you want to lock anybody into having, that would just create more stress and disappointment for everybody right. involved. Right. Just be like, okay, this is what we're going to do. We're just going to, you know, do these 300 copies. Yeah. You get, you know, get some, you can sell them at your shows, Pe- more people will know about you, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, put the shit on your band camp, I'll put the shit on iTunes, just keep it moving, man. Send me the next batch of beats when it's ready. You know what I mean? Maybe we'll have another record. Do you, I mean... And I'd like to, uh, not to interrupt, like, okay. I also like, like EXT. Like, EXT's the shit. Fucking really Nathan. Like, cats that just make beats, just to fucking make beats. Not even, like, fuck a rapper. I don't put rap shit out on street corner. It's only a, I'm gonna put a couple rap records out, but it's because those are my homies and they're dope as fuck. But I don't, I don't really listen to rap shit anymore unless it's like Rock Marciano or Guilty might have some new shit. I like the and I want to cap. There's so much like the, the innocence is almost completely gone from rap music. And yeah. The, the creation just beats and shit. So I want to capture those motherfuckers and capture those moments where you can feel that fucking innocence like this shit is dope as fuck but it's just a motherfucker in this fucking room on a fucking keyboard and a fucking drum machine making some ill shit he don't give a fuck about what's going on in the world he's not trying to make a better record than this motherfucker or get a grammy he's just making dope shit you know what i mean and for so, and for so long there was so much hype and so much money and whatever going around that producers thought that they had to like work with rappers to, right but then when it got to the point where, uh, uh, oh, I'm good, baby. All right. But then it got to a point where, um, you, you know, realized that a lot, a lot of these producers were coming and going, like flash in the pan, mm-hmm. and it was getting hard, and more of these producers were getting screwed by the rappers being mm-hmm. used, and then they found out if they just put out their own projects. Yeah. Just be instrumental. That was, okay. <laughs> I think the music is more valuable by itself, especially in 2016. Ain't yeah. nobody talking about shit. These motherfuckers are not talking about shit. That ain't nobody like we've heard all this shit before. Right. Let the fucking music be be what it is. You know what I mean? Like we got shit like I Standard and all that shit. And it's dope. These cats are like trying to find the next cat and get them placements and get them welcome to the industry. But it's kind of fucked up because it's kind of like I sat on the panel for the motherfuckers like two or three years ago. And it was lawyers and sample clearance, and you shouldn't do this, and this is what you should do, and if you want to get this placement, you got to do this, and all this PC shit. And I got up on that stage, and I was like, man, no disrespect, fuck all that shit. <laughs> I was like, y'all are fucking these kids up. Like, you don't put that shit in their fucking head before they create. Yeah. I got up there, and I was like, make fucking beats. Like, make them beats. Sample the fuck, sample all that shit. You know what I mean? Sample the fuck out of them records. Don't fucking do this shit for money because then you're a fucking toy. You're a clown. A motherfucker who does something for money will do anything for money. 
I don't give a fuck about that shit, man. I'm not in it for that. And anybody who's ever really, truly created some incredible art has not been in it for that shit. Kanye got this shit on. He's fucking crazy. You know what I mean? Motherfuckers are gone. Like, this one of Life of Pablo. That shit sucks cock, yo. <laughs> that shit's horrible. These motherfuckers got it all fucked up. They just looking, looking, looking real stupid to me. You know what I mean? That reminds me of this. Um, I was just uh, inter- I interviewed this band from uh, from England called Daughter, mm-hmm. and the the lead the lead singer. Uh, she was talking about we were talking about how you know, the progression of the band, and she she was saying it it's kind of sad because when it, when it changes from you just writing songs for yourself that you think no one's ever going to hear to the point where you're on your second record now and you're you're kind of successful and you know people are going to hear it, that it's kind of sad that you're not in that place anymore. Right. To be Innocence gone, <laughs> once again. You know what I mean? Yeah, fuck. Do you, think, do you think we're in a place, though, where, you know, with technology, internet, or anything, where there actually is a lot more cool shit? There? Yeah, people are just lazy. There's more dope shit than there's ever been in the world. You know what I mean? Like, it's mind-boggling when you start to think, how much music like the thing that fucked me up is imagine like the dude in his bedroom that's better than everybody but really don't give a fuck and has never given his CDs to anybody yeah. and there aren't any CDs and he's just gonna like that's mind blowing there's so many motherfuckers that will never hear that have the best music on the fucking earth right and even on SoundCloud like shit you can find like you're never gonna find everybody like it's always gonna be another dude that's so fresh like gotta hip to the these cats Mutant Academy from Virginia bunch of young motherfuckers and it's like a trough of motherfuckers in this clique and they all got heat like the magic show my dub lab show like a month ago like i played all this shit that it's getting to the point now where i'm playing records on my show every week that no one's ever heard before right which is some crazy shit you know it's just gonna grow like i'm gonna do a comp on them for street corner next year so much heat man so much endless endless music yeah motherfuckers think it's safe Someone who says, oh, man, ain't no, ain't nothing good to listen to out here. You're just a lazy fucking bastard. Right. Because it's three clicks away, you might have found the greatest song you ever heard in your life. You know? Right. Like, at the um, at this year's Movement Festival, I was uh, interviewing uh, John Digweed. He's been a big techno DJ for since the late 80s, early 90s. This guy still, and he was telling me, he's like, this is the greatest time ever for listening to new music. Right. And he still goes through 200, 300 tracks a week right. of shit that gets sent to him. Yep. And he's super mad excited about it. This is yep. a guy that really doesn't need to do that. Right, right. But he does that because that's what keeps him and his sets fresh. Yeah, it's fucking hard to keep that shit organized, man. I had to come <laughs> no. up with some type of new organization because my download folder is just like, fuck. It's oh, my download folders out of control. ridiculous, <laughs> I gotta start making like a monthly catalog system or something. I used to do that, but then I, it just got out of it. got away from me. And right. Like, you didn't download my download folders. See, the thing that's fucked up is you download this shit and you immediately play it from that location. So then when you move it and get to catalog and then you lose the shit in the Serato and iTunes, yeah. it's fucking like, fuck. I just don't care anymore. I'm just gonna... I got the dumbass download folder, man. For real. Yeah, it's it's crazy though. Like, yeah, it's crazy how much stuff is out there, and then like, and it's almost to the point where like the more you uh, listen to, you, you almost forget about shit. 
Right. <laughs> From right. like two weeks ago. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, shit, what was that? That motherfucker send you shit with no name on it. I'm like, man, fuck, I got so many of them folders. Like, who is this? And I had motherfuckers send me the folder like two or three times because I can never find it because they don't name this shit. Name your fucking beats. Put your name in the track title. Not just the artist shit. Like, put your name in the track title too. You, you fucking new producers so we can give you credit for playing your shit. <laughs> shit. God damn it. All right, I don't even know what I want to talk about anymore. (laughs) 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 Uh, I think we're getting to the end of the road of this podcast. Word. (laughs) I think we're going to have to make this a two-parter. Hell yeah. Maybe we're good on almost two hours. Word, damn. (laughs) Talking shit with shoes. That was funny until I did that podcast for me. Like, did you ever hear that where I made like, uh, we did a podcast where I made Luther burgers. I think I remember that. <laughs> oh man, the Luther burgers things. Were... <laughs> that shit was ridiculous. Oh, the Luther burgers were, just looking at them were, sound like they just looked like they would upset my stomach. <laughs> <laughs> I swear, these days, I can, there's not even that much food I can eat, man, these days, like, especially what I was telling you earlier, how I got, I got sick. Right. Got food poisoning from uh, Taco Bell, then had, like, the vitamin D deficiency, that my stomach never, rec- uh, like, recovered from that. Wow. But know what, but know what, know what food I can eat anytime is the, is the chicken pad thai from uh, Cat's mom's new spot. Oh, she got a new spot. It's called the uh, uh, Royal Cafe, Royal Thai Cafe. It's in Where? Roseville. Where? I go there like once or twice a week. Right. And get the chicken pad thai. <laughs> and it never makes me sick. Right, right. And I tell her that all the time. I'm like, what sort of healing powers <laughs> does your mom have? And she was about to tell me the other day, and I was like, no, don't tell me. Right. I want it to be a secret. It would be a mystery. I found out the secret ingredient in Lafayette's uh, chili sauce. Coffee. Yeah, I think I remember you telling me that. That's fucking amazing. I'm going to smoke some blunts. (laughs) Cool, man. Yeah, I think that's about it for this podcast. Word, man. Fucking K-Fresh. Oh, Promote your uh, your socials and. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. House shoes, house shoes, house shoes, house shoes, house shoes. <laughs> That's all. DJHouseShoes.com, SoundCloud House Shoes, Instagram House Shoes, Twitter House Shoes, MixCloud House Shoes, MixCrate House Shoes, DJHouseShoes.com, Street Corner Music uh, on Twitter and Instagram, Street Corner SCM. Yeah, man, stay tuned. It's a lot of marvelous shit. Marvelous shit, bro. Cool. Thank you. I'm going to go smoke blunts. (laughs) So that was the interview with DJ House Shoes. It was great to have him on for the first two episodes of this season. So let's get on to Knuckle Up with my co-host, V-Styles. All right. Welcome to the Knuckle Up segment of Fresh is the Word. Uh, How you doing, V-Styles? I'm good, man. What's going on, Fresh? My man, K-Fresh, all day. (laughs) <laughs> you uh you had a you know a pretty cool weekend uh last weekend you went up to uh Traverse City do a uh, show with uh King Crooked Crooked Eye of uh Slaughterhouse how did how did that go 
Oh, it's cool, man. I, I love Traverse City, man. People was real positive, man. Quicker I came out, gave it a, a real dope show. Awesome, awesome. And uh, how's the album coming up, coming along? Uh, say, we almost there. We we almost there, man. That the, the new album that's coming out in 2017 is called uh, Thornton Mellon. Uh, and, and it's going to be special, man. I'm, I'm, I'm making it, you know, at least in my opinion, making it shorter, but making it doper than uh, at our salam even. You know, I got uh, some very special guests on there, and uh, like I said, uh, the the music can speak for itself. You know, it's, it's coming out on vinyl. You know, it, it it'll be, you know, vinyl first. You know, um, you know, it's just a great project. You know, I, I uh, you know, I'm real lucky to do hip hop music, man. J- just music in general, man. I, I really, um, you know, it, it feeds the soul. It feeds the soul, and you'll see, you know, the continuation of, uh, you know, some real good stuff, man. Uh, especially coming out, you know, after at Asylum, I'm even, man. The, the the sophomore project is. Uh, you know, can you know history shows it could be pre- it could be you know pretty tough for some. Right. You know, for me, you know, it's transitioned real well, and uh, I just can't wait for people to hear it. You know. Right. Yeah, and uh, you know, for those who you know are unaware, you, you know, your pre- your previous album at odds till it's till I'm even was uh, is I I really enjoyed it. It was. You know, very much on the lines of, you know, the sound of, like, M.O.P. or Bumpy Knuckles, Gangstar, you know, that really sort of, you know, hardcore boom bap sort of, you know, mm-hmm. tough guy sort of sound of hip-hop, you know. And, you know, I always feel like there's always going to be a place for that. And what the, and the one mm-hmm. thing that I was always, um, that I always liked about you and, you know, and I feel like this is going to transition into a whole, you know, other topics that I want to talk about is that okay. on your, uh, you know, you've worked with a bunch of, you know, known and legendary hip hop artists on, you know, on these projects and on stuff in the past. But with you, like these are like solidified, like relationships that you have with these people. You didn't just throw a bunch of money at them and then that's your selling point to your album. Like these are like exactly straight up cool, real relationships that you have with these people. And like, that's like something that I always like really respected um, about you. Uh, Thanks. K fresh. I appreciate it, man. Right. Definitely. And it's, it's sort of like, and this is, and I wanted, I want to actually you know, get your um, thoughts about something that sort of branches out towards like your, you know, being a hip hop artist and how that sort of, you know, is connected to your, your, your day jobs or your, your relationships or your, um, you know, your career paths and stuff like that. And I wanted to get your uh, particular, I've been wanting to ask you this for a while now because they're all, they're kind of like older subjects, but as somebody who's a hip hop artist from Detroit, who has, you know, who's very, and I know this about you, is very family first, you know, make sure you always, mm-hmm. as, you, as you say, take care of the home team, you know? And, Indeed. 
And um, as someone and who who is also you know a proud Marine, you know what's your thoughts? Yeah. There's like two there's two things from like the recent past that I wanted to ask you about. First off, you know as being a hip hop artist and being a black man from Detroit who is also a Marine, you know what was your thoughts about mm-hmm. the whole uh, Colin Kaepernick thing? And then building on that, I wanted uh, to also know about your thoughts about. Um, few months ago the whole uh that whole pretty much hit piece that the new york post put on um the new york rapper ka who is also his career is he has a he's a pretty uh, high-ranking official in the new york uh, fire department and they kind of question his loyalty to that career as being a hip-hop artist also so those two things what do you think about like what's your thoughts about those uh particular instances that happened well, as far as uh, Colin Kaepernick, you know, uh, I, I have this conversation all the time. And, uh, you know, people, instead of, uh, you know, offering solutions, you know, people always say, uh, well, well, not not everybody, but the people that find fault at what he's doing, they always uh, – you know, say you know, I don't like Kellen Kaepernick, and uh, you know, he, I can understand that you know he has frustration, but he's doing it wrong, or uh, why is it, you know, why is he doing it now? Because he's not starting, da 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 da, and you know, you know, he, he, being a patriot, you know, is, you know. Uh, you have to look at it in different ways, man. Uh, but you know, for those that have been in the military, man, you you you, you fought for that particular right for him to express himself the way he chose or chooses right. to express himself. Um, that's what freedom and liberty is all about—to freedom of expression. You know, uh, I don't think. Um, Let's see, how can I say this? I, I I don't think, you know, people think it's like a time limit on when people wake up. Um, yeah. You know, it could be today or tomorrow as long as you wake up. Uh, I personally don't have a problem with Colin Kaepernick and what he's doing. Um, the bottom line is, uh, you know, I, I learned about police brutality and stuff like that through hip-hop music. Um, talk about, you know, uh, N.W.A., uh, when they talk about police issues or, you know, uh, that was my way of learning. You know, I didn't know anything, you know, about what was going on on the West Coast until I heard, you know, that, you know, those music, uh, I, mean, I mean, those songs or that particular type of music. Um the difference is back then we didn't have cell phones with cameras. So right. now we got cell phones with cameras and people are actually catching these acts that that's going on. And, um, you, 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 people can talk about it all day, but when there's a visual behind it, it's more powerful. So, um, it is, I wish people would stop, avoiding the issue, going around 
the the issues. You know, people like to avoid certain things, and I, I, I think we need to discuss what's really happening, whether it starts at local government, you know, to to high high government. You know, we need to talk about these issues because the bottom line is, you know, it, you have people living in a different type of world than you know what what was promised us you know so you know it it's an issue you know um and it it's going to be you know every day is going to be a bigger issue until people say hey you you know what enough it, it, you know it's enough and that's kind of like what you're seeing the frustrations man that's with black people but you know hispanics you know with you know with Asians and, you know, people of color, you know, it's, it's a lot of things that's going on, man. And yeah. it's just not police, man. It's just, you know, being a human being, you know, people can't even be a human being without, you know, being questioned or, you know, it's, it, you know, bottom line is we live in a, you know, fucked up society, man, but somebody got to make that change. Yeah. Start somewhere, you know, so I try to make a difference every day. Yeah, definitely. You know? uh, um, as far as Kai, um, I found out about Kai through, uh, DJ Soko. Yeah. And, uh, I remember him talking about him all the time. And, uh, you know, I did my little research on him and very dope MC. Very, very. Um, uh, it's funny, you know, when people think that, you know, uh, you know, hip hop is smoke and mirrors. It's because you're out here doing, you know, music, dope music, whatever you're doing. You know, sometimes for for certain artists, you know, you work every day. I don't find anything wrong with a man working as a firefighter, saving lives on a daily, right, and doing music that he loves. Politically express dope hip hop, um, something that we're missing in the culture. But you can honestly hear the dude as a student, and, and I'll say again, very dope. Um, to me, I look at it like you know, people expect you to be a robot and, and not who you really are. And it's not wrong with doing music and having a nine to five and, and you know, doing what you want to do. You know, you're not breaking any laws. Right. You're out here, you know, with your freedom of speech and you have a talent. You know, just because you have a job like how he has, that doesn't mean he's a bad dude, man. I, I think people, you know, for people to say some of the things that they've been saying about this cat, it's like, are you listening to his music? You know, listen to what he's talking about. No, nobody wants to. I mean, it's similar similar to Colin. Nobody wants to, you know, hit at what he's talking about, but they just want to talk about how he's just this rapper, this horrible rapper. And, and you know, when you see, you hear stuff like that, it's like, are you kidding me? Horrible. You know, have you listened to this cat? So, yeah, it just uh, another way uh, uh, for people to, you know. Try to take a man down that's, you know, doing what he loves. 
Right. You know, and, and salute to him, you know, you know, fuck the powers of be, keep doing <laughs> what you're doing. Right. And you know what I'm saying? Because the bottom line is, you know, nothing should stop a person from from expressing themselves, especially, you know, if they're dope. Right. So I'm straight up on fuck the powers of be, and I speak it. Right. And and with someone like Kai, it's not like it's just like a regular sort of job that he has. He's actually a high-ranking official. and He's like a lieutenant or a captain or something like that, right? Yes, he is a high-ranking official, and... His wife has a really high-ranking, like, career also. It's doing something different. I forget what it is. They have a solid family. If mm-hmm. They have a solid family. Look, look, if, if anything, hey, hey, hey. yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say this. You know, that's hip-hop for it, too. Um, because hip-hop, you know, I love my culture, man, but you have a lot of people in the culture that, that think that if you don't, um, if you don't come from a drug background or if you don't, yeah. it's the whole flip side of that. But if you don't come from a drug background, if you don't come from the streets or if you don't, you know, that that makes you less than, than, you know, what it really means to be an MC in their eyes. I'm like, man, get the fuck out of here, man. Are you kidding me? <laughs> right. Definitely. You definitely. Know you know, you, you think, you think, I mean, uh, again, and I'm just naming names, man, but there's no way possible. What, what The beauty of our culture and the beauty of, of music, period, is first and foremost, freedom of expression and how we come up, everybody being different yet dope. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. There's no one, there's no way possible everybody can tell the same fucking story. If you if, if everybody told the same story in hip hop, wouldn't be no hip hop as far as like as far as from the music end. Yeah. Because you know, it's just, you know, we, we learn like I like I like I said earlier, I learned about police brutality, you know, through NWA. I learned about gangs through hearing colors and watching the movie Colors. And I you know we being from Detroit, you know, we had different things. Young Boys Incorporated, PA, you know, uh, different type gangs. But to hear about, you know, dudes that rock red or dudes that rock blue, and it just was something, like, totally different. You know, it probably used to be informative. Imagine if we didn't get the records that we got back in the day that fed us. Some of this music, you know, it, it, it helped us as students coming up you know, get through. I can remember, you know, Black History Month will be around and, you know, you might want to put, you know, put in a little You Must Learn by KRS-One, <laughs> you know, Boogie Down Productions. Yeah. You know, it, we, we you know, it used to be food, you know, not just candy. You know, we used to be, you know, able to get something from it, man. So, you know, you, 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 you know, it's nothing wrong with, having a gig, you know what I'm saying? It's nothing wrong with, you know, because that tells a whole other side of something that you're not used to. You're only getting the story from the opposite side, man. There's plenty of people like the Salt and Peppers, the, you know, I don't even think I've ever heard LL Cool J rhyme about being a drug dealer or 
you got a lot of artists out there that don't come from a necessarily negative environment. They just were dope, yeah. and they were able to get on not using dope money, but using, you know, okay, I got a job, I got a college. The Kumo D had a college degree. Yeah, You know what I'm saying? I'm talking about, like, you know, there's nothing wrong with being smart. There's nothing wrong, you know, and I think, you know, we 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 celebrate one side so much when we don't give the 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 other side, you know, that that look of like I see you salute. You know what I'm saying? That, that that's what balance is all about, man. So I just get so tired of when people say, you know, well, man, you know, you ain't from the streets. Fuck out of here. Are you <laughs> right. kidding me? I grew up in a D, you know, East and West Side. Been shot in the head, you know. Saying you can't, you can't tell me about nothing if you ain't never experienced no shit like that, you know. Saying I keep this shit moving and funky, and, and if it wasn't for my experience in the street, wouldn't be no V styles. So, yeah, I, I'm, 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 I'm funny like that when they come to that man, because I don't want people to think that that's just one side of, you know, hip hop is is being a doctor. Hip-hop is being a lawyer. Hip-hop is being a dude that love MMA. Hip-hop is everything. It's not just one fucking thing. And, and niggas need to wake up. Excuse the French, but motherfuckers need to wake up. Straight up. Right, definitely. And someone like Kai, I feel like his story should be celebrated no matter what it should. aspect it should. you're coming from. Yep. Whether you're, you're from the hip-hop side or just a journalist out there has nothing to do with hip-hop. That what he's been able to build for himself should be celebrated. Yeah, when I was in the Marine Corps, man, I see people, you know, they get caught up in 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 the other shit, and you're either it's either you are or you're not. I was hip hop before I was anything else, regardless of you know how I get my bread or how. You know, I'm doing this or how I'm, I'm moving, you know. You know, it, it's, that's what makes us special, man, you know. But for anybody out there to think that, you know, when I hear, you know, a couple of years ago, you know, when somebody made a comment, I, I think I seen on Fox when they called Common a gangster rapper. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? Really? <laughs> like, is that what we're, we, we went that, we stooped that low to call Common, you know. Common's anything you know, but one of, the most, <laughs> one of the most revered dudes, a, a, a gangster rapper. Are you kidding me? You know, how about informative rapper? How about a dude that's talking about something, you know, again, people, you know, people that speak about issues are always labeled a certain way, you know, and you never, you never hear that about other genres. You know, whether it's country, whether it's this, whether it's that. Only in hip-hop do we down a person for talking about real shit. You know, that's that's just how I view shit. Definitely. And kind of transitioning this into um, the world of uh, MMA, there's uh, something I want to discuss with you uh, that uh, happened a few weeks ago. Uh, It was Tyron Woodley's Mm -hmm. um, comments in regards to the the double standards that... uh, um, many of the black f- um, fighters uh, get. He's he's uh, he's saying that you know guys like him get more heat when 
they try to go for the money fights rather than going for the uh, titles. Um, and mm-hmm. we even talked about it last week where you were saying how there's only like a finite amount of time when fighters can really, you know, try to get those big money fights, you know? And, yep. Yep. and while somebody like uh, a Conor McGregor can hold up his, you know, defending his title to do two fights with uh, Nate Diaz, if, you know, he's saying that if he tried to do that, he'd get a lot of heat, you know, what's your thoughts about that? I mean, I agree with Tyrod. Um, excuse me, Tyron. Um, it, it's, um, you know, bottom line is, you know, again, in the room, you know, people don't like talking about this, man. But um, to me, just looking at Tyron as a fighter, man, I, I watched that dude when he was a strike force fighter, when he wasn't, uh, like, I think he was like strike force. Uh, Dark or something like that, where you know he would uh, he would be on, but he wasn't like on the main card and stuff like that. I really watched this cat, man, and um, I've been a fan of his. I like his style. Um, he's a wrestler, you know, from Missouri. Yeah. Um, he got dope hands, man. He's grown as a student. You really see that. Um, um, he had a setback against Nate Markhart in a you know in a, in a Strike for us. Uh, uh, I, I believe it was a, I believe it was a middleweight championship. Uh, excuse me, welterweight championship. He lost the welterweight championship to Mark Hart and, and, and Strike Force, but he still was just more of a student. Then he was winning fights just on pure ability. You know, he was a he was a, a student then, and you know, you watch this dude grow and, and be smart, and that's why he's the champion right now, man. So. You know, you salute a dude like that, man. And, you know, he's had fights. So I feel like, you know, he deserved, like, fighters deserve that payday. That dude's a champion. So you mean to tell me it's different rules for that dude as compared to, you know, Michael Bisping, who just beat the number third? I mean, I love Dan Henderson like everybody else. You know, Pride, big up. You know, Olympian, big up. Love Dan Henderson, man. Big, big, huge, huge fan of the Hendo bomb. But you mean to tell me the champion can pick out the number 13 guy? And, and, and you know, and a lot of people eyes lost that fight. Um, but you mean to tell me he can pick out the number 13 guy and defend his belt in his home country? And, and you know, you, you got somebody like Teron Woodley who's been winning consistently in the UFC. He wins the belt from Robbie Lawler, who, you know, that's my guy. I like Robbie Lawler. I'm a, I'm a fa- big fan of Robbie Lawler. His story should be a movie. Right. But that that dude beat Robbie Lawler, you know. Um, he should be able to call that shot. If you want to get a money fight, he should be able to get a money fight. This on principle. You know, I'm talking about, you talk about somebody like Connor, and I like Connor, but Connor is, is a dude where, you know, just stylistically, you could just tell his fights to pick. He ain't been in there with no strong wrestler. Wait till he get in there with a real wrestler, man. That's why I think Eddie Alvarez is is, is going to put it to him. But he's been picking his fights. He ain't been against no dude that's going to put him on his back. You know, he's been against all stand-up dudes. So that's the reason. You know, um, you know he's you know he's marketable. A lot of things about Connor that you would like. You know, he has a, you know, uh, 
big Irish following. He has a big international following. I mean, you can speak about the dude all day, but that does not make that shit fair. You ain't you you haven't defended your title in the featherweight division one fucking time, but you can have fights with you know my man Nate Diaz, and I, I'm glad for Nate because Nate got that bread. So you know that at the end of the day, you know you fight for money. Like I always say, your window is small. Get as much bread as you can. But you can have that dude pick and do what he want to do. And other than Nate Diaz, who has he really? I mean, okay, yeah, you beat Jose Aldo, you know, and you can't front on that. You knock the dude out, so that's real. Get that man a rematch. That man deserves a rematch just on the strength that he, what he's done all these years for, for mixed martial arts, you know, but you don't, you don't, you don't get that man a rematch. That man wins the interim title, and you know he still bypass. You know, so yeah, it's not fair, man. It's not fair. I don't think Teron Willie should have to, you know, um, fight against Wonder Boy. I, I, I like Wonder Boy, but you know, let allow this man to get that money fight. Otherwise, it's going to appear to what it is what we see. You know, and it's just a lot of bias. Now, can I say color is involved in that? You could say that. You know, you could say that. You know, I I mean, you could say that. You know, yeah. I just gave you two examples of other dudes that basically unpicked their fights. But this dude who who earned this shot, you know, people might get mad at the fact that he, he sat out fights and waited for Robbie Lawler's. What would you do? You know, I, you can't hate that man for that. I didn't even pick him in that fight. I rock with, with Robbie Lawler. But, you know, you got to respect the dude that went out there and handled his business. You know, and you can tell he's a hip-hop fan. I'm, I'm, I'm all for fighters that that's that, that's all for the culture. I've seen him in the NWA movie, Straight Outta Compton. <laughs> right. You know, so 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 good for Teron Woodley, man. You know, I, I, you know, I say this on, on, on this podcast. I hope he... You know, you got to ruin people's plans for you. You know, people don't want to see him win. So I hope he smashed. I hope he smashed Wonder Wonder Boy just to ruin the UFC plans, man. Because the UFC wants certain type champions. They want that marketable and all that. And I just think that's his corny, man. You know, if dude is a champion, treat him like a champion. Have give him that respect because Michael Bisping lost a lot of fights. And he treated like a god. Nah, and I don't get it. I just don't get it. So, um, let's talk about this. I mean, you just sort of mentioned it. Um, in the UFC, when it comes down to it, they're, you know, they're trying to market certain people. Do you do you think there is any sort of actual prestige or importance with the titles themselves, or are they trying to place these titles into particular people's hands? Um, it depends on what division it is, but if you look at it, um, let's just be 100. They want Ronda Rousey to to have the belt. They want Conor McGregor to have the belt. Uh, they want, you know, to be totally honest with you, the man that has gotten more title shots than anybody else in UFC history in two different divisions. Uriah, Uriah Faber. They wanted Uriah Faber to have a title. It's just something about the markability, the look, 
You know, they, they have whatever the it factor is, I guess they have it. They don't want to see somebody like, you know, like they would love if uh, what, what what's the girl name that uh, that was on Dancing with the Stars? Oh, Paige Van Zandt. Paige, Paige Van Zandt. Yeah. Oh man, if, if if she ever, you know, I mean, not saying it, you know, it's not possible, but if she ever won a title, just watch and see what happens. They don't want people like Amanda Nunes as champion. They ain't gonna come out and say that, but has she been really promoted? Oh, Have you no. seen her? At least we've seen Holly Holm on on different shows, and you know that could be because she'd be Ronda Rousey. But have you seen a man in those celebrated anywhere other than that other than that cage? Oh no, you if you if you actually thought about it, you didn't even know who who has the who has that belt at this time. You know, it's exactly they're really quiet and about that's it. That's not by that that that's not by design, in my opinion, man. They they so hell bent on. Uh, Ronda Rousey being champion, man, that they they're willing to, you know, just do any and everything. How does a person take a year off and basically come back and get a title shot, man? Are you kidding me? Yeah, and yeah, you mean to tell me Michael Bisping in a couple of weeks stepped up and shocked the world by beating Luke Rockhold, and Luke Rockhold can't get you know a rematch? Or, you know, you talk about Robbie Lawler, somebody that been in war smashing people. He can't get a rematch against Terrell Willie. Um, I mean, come on, man. Let's be real about this, man. I mean, uh, you got, like I said, man, going back to Michael Bisping, how can anybody, you know, I mean, I'm looking forward to him getting smashed, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, I, I'm, I'm, you know, Dude, be talking too much, man. It's like, dude, you, you know, you, you, yeah. Can you take the, you know, can you take the fact that you're a champion away? Nope, you can't. You, you the champ. But your humility level is just horrible, man. You talk mad shit about everybody, and you, dude, you, you're a logo for another fighter. You know, I mean, again, yeah, you, like I said, they, they gave, gave him that decision, you know, with, with Hendo, but you're a logo for other fighters, man. You. You've had L's upon L's upon L's, and okay, yeah, your day is here. Enjoy it because as soon as you fight somebody in that top ten, your day you're not gonna be champion anymore. Then you're gonna be just a, a, a UFC analyst. You know, good luck to you though, buddy. <laughs> One of the big news, uh, you know, this past week in the UFC has been uh, GSP George St. Pierre. Uh, mm-hmm. He was, uh, you know, rumored to be, you know, the uh, on the UFC 206 card in Toronto against uh, Anderson Silva, mm-hmm. but it, you know, a lot of things have been coming out the past week in regards to uh, that. He's he says that he's uh, he's left the company. His uh, um, and and he said that uh, the sort of the new management, the new owners of the uh, of the UFC, kind of broke down the negotiations in regards to that because he pretty much had everything. Uh, you know, almost finalized with Lorenzo, but then all kind of uh, fell apart there. But one of the most pointed things out of the out of all of this is that um, he he's been you know talking about how a lot of the fire you know fighters, as he puts it, retire uh, broken mentally, physically, Bro. and financially. Yeah. Yep. And he's saying that the you know yep. most of the fighters in the UFC right now they're starving, and and it's easy way an easy way to control them. You know, what's your thoughts about all this? 
What did I say in last podcast? <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it, 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 look, look, and it's weird, you know, and I say that so for people to go back and listen to the first podcast, right. catch up. But unless you're a certain fighter, name, you know, you've earned that, you know, I, you know, I hate to even be like this, man, because I ain't never putting nobody down. But I make more bread monthly than these dudes, you know, in, in the in the three four month period, because these dudes, man, you know, you got to take into consideration. Okay, there are no more sponsors. They don't get a chance to, you know, rock whatever logo they really repping in that cage, man. They have to rock UFC. You know, they got to rock UFC Reebok apparel. Let's say hypothetically you got 15 fights on, on, on the independent level, but that independent level, you know, you're getting, let's say on the low end, you're getting 30,000, 40,000 sponsor. You know, you're getting, you're getting that per, per, per whatever period it is for you to, you know, go through fights. You're getting, you know, if you got four or five sponsors and they added up to 30 Gs, Okay, them sponsors is, is, is getting you through them monthly bills. You know, when you follow your dreams, whether it be music, whether it be this, that, or the other, yeah. remember, bills don't ever stop. So, you know, I think sometimes people don't, you know, they don't, you know, they don't think fighters, are, you know, are human beings, man. They just think certain things are just automatic, and you have to pay the cost to be the boss. So you, you're paying paying that gym fee, you know, because everybody that's on a real team paying some type of fee, they at least paying 10, 15 percent, you know, and depending on what your fight purse is. Now, I think the last example I gave you was you got a fighter that might get 25 to sell 25 to win, five grand. That ain't shit. That's no money. So you're talking about a guy win five grand for that one fight, and he ain't getting another fight for another three, four months. So you're not only out of that five grand, it's getting taxed. Right. You got to pay your you got to pay your gym. You're probably behind on bills, so you got to make up all that shit. And by the time you're paying off everything that you own, you probably got about two, three hundred dollars in your pocket. Now you at now you at square one again, where you need to fight. And you ain't doing nothing but getting yourself right back in the hole, man. There's some fighters out here that understand that and get it, but it's some fighters that just think about this whole, oh, they fight the UFC, the UFC. Nah, nah, ain't about the UFC because the UFC already got theirs. You got to get yours. Right. And going to the UFC, you should get a considerable raise. And, you know, dudes um, – you know, that's like like going to the UFC is like a, like going to the NFL in some people's eyes. I don't look at it like that. I look at it like whoever pay you the most. So you got other organizations out there that, that's willing to, to pay that dime so you can commit that crime. So, you know, you you, you, you know, UFC is not the only uh, ball game, in the, in, you know, going on, you know, in mixed martial arts, man. And hopefully one day that, you know, people wake up on that, man. But GSP, um, good for him, man. Um, I agree with him that UFC contract, you might as well say you are a slave. Um, they want your your likeness. They want everything 
surrounded by your name. Um, they want to control every anything you're doing. It's like, you know, you're giving these dudes pennies to risk their life, but yet you're making all the real money. Where, where, you know, that's why they don't want the Muhammad Ali Act involved. That's why they don't want unions involved. There's a lot of reasons why, you know, the UFC don't want, you know, a lot of things, you know, happening. It's going to happen anyway, man. I think it's going to come out in this class action lawsuit, man, with these guys, man, because, you know, you got to take care of your fighters, man. I'm a huge Mark Coleman fan. I, you know, I, I think last time I told you I grew up wrestling. Um, you know anything about Mark the Hammer Coleman, you know, it's a godfather ground and pound. And how he gets you down is, is, is that single or double. And, you know, once he gets you on that, that, that single or double, then, you know, it's, it, you pretty much get smashed through the, through, through the canvas, period. Yeah. Well, I... I I met him in San Jose, man, and he had just had hip surgery. And, you know, you, you read stuff online. You know, I didn't dare ask him this. You know, I felt like it was disrespectful. But, you know, you read stuff online about, you know, a GoFund for him in surgery. Mark Coleman is royalty. He should never have to worry about surgery. Right. You know, ever. You know, so when I when I see stuff like that, it just makes me sad, man. These dudes put their lives on the line to get really nothing in return. And, you know, there's a lot of people out here that hustle harder. You know, when I hard, there's a lot of people out here that hustle that's making more bread than these fighters. And it's smoke and mirrors because you would really think, as well as, you know, for us fans and people that follow the sport, you would really think these dudes is – Making bread, but they ain't. You know, they may look the appearance just like it's just like the rapper that rents the house or, or <laughs> rents the car for a video. Yeah, they may look the appearance, but you know, don't believe in what you're seeing. Now, the name people that I name, like the Conor McGregor's, the you know, the John Jones, the Ronda Rousey's, uh, you got certain people, man, that have earned earned that right. The GSPs. Uh, you know, these people, you know, they earn that right, man, to get that bread, man. And, you know, uh, it's just uh, it's just one of them things, man. It's one of them things where it's like you really got to love what you're doing to keep going for. It's like hip-hop, to be honest with you. That's why, that's why for me, it's, it's, it's just real easy. You know, I, I look at, you know, I think I told you before, I look at hip-hop, professional wrestling and MMA the same way. You right. got to be a different type of people that really love that. You know, we, we, we're different type fans, man. We're really different type fans. Yeah, a lot of the things you were just saying about uh, the money involved and the contracts involved with the UFC, you know, that, that parallels exactly with a lot of people I had to deal with uh, signing the major labels and stuff in hip-hop or whatever music you yeah, know, you're doing. Look, and think about this, too. Them dudes don't have no medical. They ain't got no medical. They ain't got, like, so So think about this. Imagine, you know, and I gave you the low end of five, two, 25, and 25 winning. Imagine you winning 10 Gs a fight. Yeah. That shit going to go real quick if you get sick. Oh. He's going to go real quick. Them dudes don't have no medical. So they got to pay. They either got to pay. You know, from an independent standpoint uh, of getting medical insurance, or they pay straight up out the pocket. And you know, I, I, I would think they 
we pay independently, you know, for that rate to be down. But a lot of these dudes pay out the pocket. That money don't last. That's why it's so important, man. You know, one bad move, you can settle for less. You know, one bad one bad punch or one bad kick, man, you may not, you'll be a vegetable. You know, some dudes, man, you know, when we see the big, huge spectacles and the fireworks and the confetti, uh, you know, sometimes that shit costs more than what the fighters even taking home, man. So you, people really need to think about that, man. Are, are they fighters? Sure. But they're entertainers as well, and they need to be paid for it. Yeah, and uh, the legal team that uh, uh, GSP uh, has right now, you know, they, they've, you know, come out saying that, you know, these 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 contracts are really archaic and saying that, you know, that there's a possibility that they might be helping other fighters um, it's going to fight the um, yep. fight these contracts because they're so archaic. And for me, when I you know when you look at all this stuff that's going on, if you're a fighter on a UFC card, whether it's you know the preliminary or the main card, and you are at these UFC events, these big UFC events, there should be some mm-hmm. sort of minimum that you make that's a lot more than what they're making. Okay, now I'm gonna break it down for you even even tougher than that. Okay, one of the biggest hangups, or the biggest hangup, is the Reebok deal. Okay, now although George will probably max out on what he would get for a veteran UFC fighter, yeah, it's it's way lower than what he makes for Under Armour. So why should he come back and take? a huge pay cut, then the him sit out here and fight for what he believes he should be compensated for the money he's going to lose because the man is under contract with Under Armour. He was on a contract with Under See, and that's the thing. His contract is the old contract. He never had to be. He never fought in Reebok before. So you remember, he had the old contract. So when you, when you talk about, yeah, we're negotiating this new thing, this new deal, da 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 yeah, that, that's to include the Reebok sponsorship. So he's up under this dinosaur contract. He's not even up under this new contract. So people can say whatever they want, but the bottom line is he should be compensated. Similar to how Brock Lesnar was compensated when when he came back for his one fight, man. I'm going to have to go back and look at the film, but I wonder if um, that um, – you know, Brock Lesnar is uh, he, he's sponsored by that uh, beef jerky company. I wonder if he was allowed to wear some of that, but I know he had the Reebok on, but them dudes paid this guy a lot of money to wear that brand. So that had to be a negotiating point with him to even come back. Because how do you not how do you not show who your sponsor is if uh like you see it, you see it in the WWE. He always got the 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 beef jerky, um, the Jimmy John's. Well, I don't know why. Yeah, yeah <laughs> exactly. The Jimmy John. He always got that. I'm gonna go back and look to see if he was allowed to have some of that stuff for um, the uh, the UFC fight, man. But you know, it does not make sense from a financial perspective to give up. If he get if he got a million dollar deal with Under Armour. And that's low end because that's a billion dollar company. But if you got a a million dollar, um, you know, sponsorship with them dudes, why is he gonna take twenty five, thirty five grand per fight with UFC? You know, with that, you lowballing yourself. Okay, do he probably get people? 
Prince? Sure he does. He's GSP. But he was up under the old contract before the Reebok deal was even in the mix. So you got he can't fight up under that old contract. So you gotta give him a new contract. And just like the lawyer said, you know that that shit is. Now I've been, you know, like I said, I've been hearing mama for a long time about these, you know, these type contracts, man. And I've heard people say slaves, you might as well be a slave for working for UFC because they don't, they don't list you as a fighter. I think they introduce you as an independent worker or a contractor or something like that. It's like a language that they have in there to where you're not even a fighter. It's like they, it's like they lease your service or something like that. It's, it's, you know. Don't, don't quote me on it, but yeah, it's something that's real corny. Like, wow, really? And it's independent something, independent contractor, something like that. Yeah, I think WWE contracts are similar to that too. Right, right. That's why you see. That's why. That's why you see the likeness and stuff. You know, like fighters don't have a piece of that. That's why when you see them in other organizations, you know, they had different names and stuff like that. But it's similar. It's similar. It's similar to that. Right. All right, let's, uh, you know, switch topics. Um, you know, let's do some Bellator talk. You know, there's a Bellator uh, uh, fight coming on this Friday, uh, headlined by uh, Shlomenko versus Grove. You know, who do you have in that fight? Uh, I'm rooting for Grove. Um, I, you know, uh, he's fighting Kendall Grove, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, old UFC fighter, man. I like him to grow. He, he, he brings it. Um, you know, Slaminko, you know, he, to me, you know, I'm still disappointed in him from his last outing, man, when he tested, when he when he popped positive, man, for them steroids. So even though it came back that, you know, it, it was something that was tainted or whatever, you know, okay, yeah, he kind of got off of it. But, you know, He's been gone for a minute, man. I think inactivity is going to be his downfall, man. So I'm taking Kendall Grove there. And uh, I'm curious to see what Bobby Lashley is going to look like tomorrow, man. Uh, I'm not I'm, I'm not really familiar with, with the guy he's fighting. But um, I'm pretty sure we're going to see some wrestling in that fight. And I'm pretty sure we're going to see some ground pound. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, and then also in uh, Bellator, they just uh, announced uh, January 21st, the forum in L.A. It's going to be uh, the bad guy returns, you know, not talking about uh, Razor Ramon, the American gangster, <laughs> Chael Sonnen versus Tito Ortiz. That's my man, Chael, man, the American gangster. I fuck, I fuck you, Chael, man. I like Chael, man. Fuck Tito, man. I mean, I, I just, you know, <laughs> no, I don't hate to say that. Fuck Tito, man. You know, I, it, it, you know he, you know, you know, you know, I think people know, like I said it last week, man, I rocks with, with King Mo, man. That's my brother. And, and you know, I, I've been on flights with Tito. I remember when Tito got signed, when, you know, I forget who, who he was fighting in New Mexico, man, but they brought Tito out just before Mo's entrance to, to the cage, you know, uh, you know, basically, you know, for his signing. And he was real cool at the airport. And, you know, I was telling him who I was. Like, you know, you see me, you know. Matter of fact, he gave me the head now as we were walking to the cage, man. You know, I was like, okay, Tito, cool. And going home, we took the same flight. Um, I, I think I, I flew from New Mexico to Dallas and from Dallas to Detroit. But we flew from 
New Mexico to Dallas. And, you know, we, we were virtually next to each other, man. He had nothing but positive things to say about Mo, you know, and it was, it was real respectful. Yeah. You know, uh, months later, you'll see him saying a little slick shit about, you know, and, and it's never Mo. You know, Mo just responds. You know, you see, you know, like reporters are saying, well, hey, man, you're a new fighter in so who you want to fight, man? How about King Mo? And as soon as Mo get, would get brought up, he'll say something, you know, uh, he, he just was disrespectful when it came to Mo. He would say something like, uh, you know, I don't, you know, he needs a couple more wins. You know, who is he? And I'm, and I'm like, really? You, you would say that? Like, really? <laughs> you know, um, you know, so months went by and uh, this past, well, I ain't going to say months went back. You know, that kept happening for a while. Him always saying something about Mo. So finally Mo responded like, you know, and fuck Tito Ortiz, da, 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 da. you know, so they went back and forth. So, you know, um, we were in Houston, man, for Kimbo's last fight. And, you know, we went to Dave and Buster's and, you know, me and Mo got into it with Tito Ortiz. Man, that's a real fucking story, man. I, 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 did I ever tell you about that? No, I don't think so, no. Oh, oh my God. We went to Dave and Buster's. And, and you know, it wasn't no fight, you know, for Mo. But we was just there having a good time, man. And we wound up going to... Um, Dave and Buster's because, you know, usually, you know, they got legends and they got Bella Swan fighters that come out for Fan Fest. So, you know, we go to Fan, initially we, we wasn't going to go, but Mo was on the on, on the field of going, so, you know, I had got back to my room, he called me, he said, man, we were about to go to Fan Fest. I'm like, man, I, you know, like, fight week is real tiring, man. It, I bet. It, it's nonstop and, until you get to, and really until you, you know, go to sleep. Um, Mo called, he's like, V man, you know, you, you dress. I'm like, nah, I just took a shower, man, I'm about to go to sleep. And it was like eight, nine o'clock. That's how everything is just nonstop. And he said, man, well, we go go to, we go go to Fan Fest after all, man. So we get there and I know what, I know what time it is. Cause I know he's there and, you know, we had already talked about the possibilities if, if certain things have popped off. So, you know. Me and Mo, you know, I get there and I go upstairs and, you know, they take me to the area and, you know, I had me, you know, my drink of choice is Hennessy, <laughs> you know, being being from the D. Right. <laughs> and, you know, I'm getting get my drink on and, you know, uh, Mo was like, man, let's go, you know, let's go, uh, let's go, you know, hang out with some fans. So I was like, cool. So I'm feeling good. We playing games with different people, da, 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 da. So, they had a section where all the Bellator fighters were at. I think, let's see, it was Kurt Angle was there, Tito was there. It was a lot of people there. So Mo was like, man, let's go upstairs. So I'm like, okay. <laughs> and, I, and I knew who was upstairs. So I go, we go upstairs, man. I turn my head for not 30 seconds. I look back to my left. I see Mo walking into the room with everybody. So I say, here we go. <laughs> So, so I go in there, and Mo, you know, he waited a couple minutes, you know, and he's like, well, you know, why you always got, you know, my name in your mouth, man, I don't even be talking about it. He was talking to him real simple, respectful, and Tito says, well, you know, 
you know, he you learn that certain people do stuff for the cameras and the media. And you play, man, I should apologize for you know going through some things, you know, you know, custody and you know, most like, man, I'm really not trying to hear that, man. Why you always got my name in your mouth? So people start noticing what was going on. So as more people came to what was what, what was happening, Tito. Uh, he gets louder and louder. Go ahead. This is your 15 seconds of fame. Blah, blah, blah. So <laughs> Momo looking at him like, are you kidding me? You just was clapping please a second ago about how you should apologize to me. You know, now you got the police coming up. They they kind of like grabbing Mo. So, you know me. I, kinda, I walked up to him. I was like, I was like, man, you remember me? I said, I drove. I, I, I flew from uh, New Mexico to Dallas with you, you know. I said, you was real, real respectful, you know, back then, man. You was, you know, you had a lot, of, a lot of nice things to say about Mo, man. But, you know, every time you look up, you got something crazy to say. He was like, who the fuck are you? I was like, I'm the guy that was next to you. I told you who did I rock with. And he was like, oh, go away, man. I was like, okay. I was like, you're a Trump supporter, right? He was like, yeah, fuck yeah. I was like, yeah, you, you're Hispanic, man. You're going to be washing his windows with if he get in office, man. <laughs> After that point, the police kind of like, you know, they, I ain't gonna say they grabbed me, but they was like, come on from over here, da 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 So me and Mo, you know, we went outside, we left the venue, man, and we laughed about it, we laughed about it. But he was like, you know, I told him, he was gonna be watching Windows. So, like, yeah. yeah then wild, I woke man. up the next day, look, I woke up the next day, like, damn, did that shit really happen? That shit really And it was the Hennessy. <laughs> said, man, the Hennessy got my mind tripping. Hey, that, that's how it was, man, but I don't regret none of that, man. I, it just showed me that Tito is, is, I mean, he is who he is. You can never front on what he's accomplished in mixed martial arts. I'll be a hater to say anything other than that, but as far as, like, the person, the person I've been around, he, he he's abroad, man, and I hope Chell Sonnen smashes his ass, man. I'm rocking with the American gangster, man, because he's a He's a, you know, people, when they think about Chell Sonnen, man, they think one side, man. I, I You know, Chell Sonnen, you know, when Mo was fucked up with a staph infection and then they, they terminated his contract with the UFC for that, you know, for the comment he made about the uh, Las Vegas uh, official um, before he signed with Bellator, you know, Chell Sonnen hit him up. On some real shit, man. I, I got, I got a lot of um, respect for that dude. Man, I ain't never met Chell Sonnen, man, but just hearing that story, I got a lot of respect for him, man. So I, I, I support that dude, man, and, and and good luck to him. I hope he beat the fuck out of Tito. Yeah, that's what's up, man. Yeah, the uh, the Sonnen Ortiz match is uh, two days before my birthday, man. So I'm thinking about maybe taking a trip out there. Oh, well, it's, yeah, it's gonna be in Anaheim, right? It's gonna be at the yeah, for- yeah it's is. gonna be at the forum yeah oh it's gonna be at the forum oh you know what damn you know we we might have to do that man we might have to do that I'm gonna talk to Mo too he he might be at that event yeah 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 it's two days before yeah, we, my birthday we, man we might, that'd be... that's a good that's a good ass idea man 
I'm going to have to make some calls on that. That's real shit. <laughs> oh, yeah. That'd be a great way to celebrate my birthday. <laughs> yeah, man. Dude, okay. Thanks for putting that shit in the air, man. I'm, I'm, look, I'm going I'm, to I'm speak on it, man. We're going to talk about that real soon. Cool. Yeah, and just to, yeah, before we close out the, uh, this week's uh, podcast, you know, uh, that's, you know, I want to talk about some uh, pro wrestling stuff. Uh, this past week, uh, Goldberg made his uh, return to the WWE ring. Uh, to answer uh, Brock Lesnar's challenge, uh, were you ever a Goldberg fan? You know what? I'm gonna tell you something. Let's be. I I, I remember Goldberg's first. I'm talking about his very first match. I'm talking about his. I, uh, who was his? Oh, I forget who. Wait, who were these? His, was his first. Uh, was his it, first was win. It, was it? It was against. Yeah, uh, I'm trying to think who. It was against uh, Hugh Morris. When, when against Humorous. Yeah. yeah. Look, and I remember that because I was a, I was a Hugh Morris fan. I'm still a Hugh Morris fan. You yeah. know, no laughing matter. Yeah, dude, he was <laughs> awesome, man. Yeah, that, that, he, look, that too. Look, I, I rooted for him because I remember when he was a pug, man. I remember when he would lose every week. Right. And to, to watch him finally come into something that was his, you know, like who who's a crazy guy that's gonna do some crazy shit and then laugh in the middle of the ring? Like, I, it was like the Joker. It was like it was like the Joker inside of a wrestler. Like that was a that was some real shit. But yeah, I remember that. And at that time, I was like, wow, this dude got potential. And then every week it grew. Now, initially, I wasn't the guy that was like, Goldberg. Oh, nah. But after after you see this motherfucker 50, 60 times, man, and it's the same shit against legitimate people, you know, you, I mean, I mean, of course, being a wrestling fan, we know the drill, but it, it's only a few to have that it. And he had that it, man. You know, you can't teach the it. It's either you have it or you don't have it. Right. And he, he, he had the it, and it came at a perfect time. And, you know, I, I became that Goldberg fan, man. It was, like, his interest alone was worth, you know, just him walking walk to the ring and stopping in the middle of those sparkles. And soon the sparkles go off, you see the smoke coming out of his nose and mouth. And, like, that, that, that was blood. That was MMA reincarnated without it being MMA, if you really think about it. Oh, definitely. You know, he came out with the gloves. He had the look. The dope part about it is he really trains in MMA. You know, he trains, you know, he, he does it all the time. But he he had a certain look, and that look just, it, it took him over the top. And then his abilities in the ring, man. I mean, he was a big fella, man. But when you could pick big motherfuckers up and do the, the jackhammer and you spear big dudes, like, you, you don't have to do much as a big guy. And... You know, he showed that, you know, he had leg lock maneuvers. He could roll on the mat. I mean, he had a lot of shit to him, man. I mean, you know, like, he was—he definitely wasn't a one-dimensional fan, man, but I love the character. So to see that guy come out this week, to see the fans, like, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't, even, I don't ever be on this type of shit, but I'm an older dude, man, so I know where this shit come from. And to see him get that love in the ring, it made me feel like I was a kid again, man. Because definitely, like that was 
that was a moment, man. I didn't know what to expect, you know, because, you know, us as wrestling fans, we could boo you in a heartbeat and not give a fuck it's a live, that it's a live show. <laughs> right. So for him to for him to get the reception that he got, like they chant. Look, what's dope about it is, is you know when it's a dope moment when the WWE. Anytime it goes over eleven oh four, eleven oh five, eleven oh six, and it goes into the sevens, eights, nines, ten, eleven, twelve, they're paying a certain amount of dollar for every minute that it's on the air. So they. They knew it was a moment, yet they still kept that shit live, and they let him embrace the moment. It like, yeah, it was it was very uh, you know for any wrestling fan, it was an emotional moment. Like, wow, you really appreciated, you know, seeing that dude, and then like for him to soak in the moment because you could tell it got to him because he hasn't been in the ring that long. Right, like, that was real. That was a real moment. So to see him get in there, embrace it, and then give the Best Goldberg interview of all time. Man. That was Bill Goldberg wasn't a talker. So for him to get in there and express himself, I don't know how this is gonna play out, but I just appreciate this moment. And I, I think that if you had doubts about buying this next pay per view or when him when whenever him and Brock you know, getting that square circle with each other. If you got doubts about that, think again. You need to get this because I can remember them wrestling for the first time, and it hurt my feelings. So I'm more – I'm looking forward to seeing the match that we should have seen many moons ago. You know, I'm not saying they're going to be on the same level youth-wise and stuff like that. But Brock's a, Brock's a monster anyway. But I think Bill Goldberg is going to surprise more people than, you know, you go expect. You know, I'm not going to say we go have the old Goldberg, but if we got the old Goldberg, I wouldn't be surprised. Because, you know, this is what, you know, wrestling is, this is what wrestling is about, man. It's about waiting for your favorite album to come out. The shit that you've been <laughs> anticipating all year. That one album that you just, you know, God, I can't wait to it. You got, you got the... You got the calendar up, and you put X's on the date. Like, you waiting for this shit, man. So I really hope, you know, if it's any indication of what could be, you know, this past Monday, man, this could be, you know, great, man. So, you know, I think as wrestling fans, man, we all need to, you know, embrace it and celebrate it straight up. Right. Like, when he was original, his original run in WCW, I wasn't much of a Goldberg fan. I thought it was kind of corny and i was like and i celebrated manufactured and made up <laughs> but <laughs> the thing was like and i totally like i totally like um celebrated his first loss like i can still vividly remember oh me it. too <laughs> it's over against kevin nash yeah. <laughs> man look dude i remember that day me too it was, it, i was happy look i was happy and sad at the same time because i felt like it was like that's how he loses like that right he gonna lose like that, so it was like, wow, man. They, you know, they played him. And if you look, if you, you know, all the, all the, all the stories we heard, man, about who had power in the back and all of that, he didn't deserve that. He didn't deserve that. Not the way, not because Goldberg at, at at a moment, man, he was the next guy. <laughs> he was that next guy. He he was their answer to Steve Austin. Right. 
And like I wasn't like like I was totally I I I just thought the whole thing was kind of corny. But in hindsight, and definitely from this past uh, his his uh, appearance on Monday Monday Night Raw, like I just totally you know look back and I'm like this guy was truly a star, man. He had that star power. He was a fucking star, man. See, and, that's what I mean. You either have it or you don't have it, and he had it. And I I think I first I first sort of started rethinking. My thoughts about Goldberg, uh, when I think earlier this year, he was on uh, Steve Austin's podcast, and I was just kind of listening to him talk, and I'm like, you know what, like, I I was kind of unfair with, you know, my thoughts about Goldberg in the past. You know, he, mm-hmm. he definitely, there is more to him than I thought about when I was, you know, and I was just a kid at that time, I was just a teenager watching it, and... Now we didn't have the internet. That was the beauty of it. We didn't have the shit right. that we have now. We didn't have that. Right. You know, it's like, wow, you know, we didn't have that. And all we believed is what we seen. And if we didn't have them 1-800 numbers, you know, then <laughs> when you pay 3 $4 a minute to get information, you can get this information. So, you know, the internet has helped us, you know, either like or dislike a person a lot more. <laughs> Straight up. That that is so true in so many levels. <laughs> but um, you know, fast forwarding to this match that happens, like, do you think he comes out on top in this match, or you know, do you think you know Brock is gonna win? Is what what do you think is gonna happen? See, and that's the thing, man. You don't know. You don't know what transpired in these in these WWE 2 2K17 you know like it's a reason why he's in that game what was he promised was he promised just to come back or was he promised a win over Brock Lesnar i personally think Brock is going to even the series up um it would be nice for Goldberg to to to, to have that win but think about it think about this Brock, Brock Lesnar wins this next match uh, against Bill Goldberg. We all heard them say this is going to be a one and done, but if it's one and one, can it really be done? So a tie has to get broke. So I've kind of heard that Bill Goldberg is going to be, you know, in, at future events. So I think the WWE might play. They they go get their money's worth, man. Because believe me, Bill Goldberg wouldn't be. There was many a days, you know, and we talk about the internet now. There's many a days where I've heard Goldberg say, "There's no way that he'll be back in the WWE ring," and hell has frozen over because he's back in the WWE <laughs> ring. Right. We could possibly see the, you know, the third match of this trilogy maybe at you know rumble or wrestlemania or yeah. rumble or wrestlemania look they get they get they they smart the wwe is smart i don't like they create a writing team right now but how they play shit out generally is smart and they can spread this shit over three four months period <clears throat> to the next three four month period by that time it's wrestlemania so you know, it depends on how they want to do it, man. But I know somehow, some way, you know, I keep going back and I keep thinking, Shane McMahon said it ain't over between us, talking about me, him and Brock Lesnar. So somehow, 
Shane is gonna Shane's gonna play a major part in in this in this Bill Goldberg uh, Brock Lesnar fight. I just got a I got I, I just got a funny feeling. You know they can go so many different ways, man. You know we can we can uh, we can see uh, Shinsu come up. You know we can see him go against Brock. We can see Samoa Joe go against Brock. I think you know, everybody a lot wants to see dudes, that. You know, just imagine that. that. Samoa Joe against Brock Lesnar. There's a lot that of people that want to see Ill. that. They want to see that uh, Samoa Joe Brock Lesnar match. That would be so out cold, dude. And Joe Joe's music is by far my favorite intro music in professional wrestling. I love. <laughs> no, what it reminds me of it reminds me of like the music from like uh, like Street Fighter or some shit like that. It's just so serious, straight to <laughs> right. the point. Right. But do you, I mean, in the place that Brock Lesnar is these days, do you think he's open to losing a match, though? Um, well, I mean, if, if I got paid bread, he got paid. You know, I don't think he would lose clean. I think it would have to be a, a reason why he lost to always leave doubt in the people's mind on how he lost, even though it's professional wrestling. Yeah. Um. I I don't see him losing clean, but you know, uh, you know, they say Vince has a way ha, has a way of convincing his his people to take L's. You know, and I would believe that the Almighty Dollar has something to do with it. You know, I mean, you know, we talking about creative writing, but if he took an L, because, you know, Crowder's kept, they, they say he was going to take that L the day that he uh, beat The Undertaker. And then The Undertaker gave the green light, you know, so he was going to take the L that day. He, he didn't know that day until, you know, the day of WrestleMania, right before the match, that he was going to beat The Undertaker. So you just never know, man. Just it. it you know, sometimes I wish I was a part of the creative writing team, man. They should have fans like us back there, you know. Like, when you see a motherfucker, man, you know, writing something, and you're like, wait a minute, hold up, man. As a fan, I don't see that shit, man. You know what I see? You want that input, you know. I wish I could be a part of that team to, to just be like, nah, I don't see that, man. That wouldn't be hot, man. The fans wouldn't feel that, man. They, they'll see through that shit, man. Because I'm generally on the side of the fans, man. We all see through We see through the shit because we fans first. We don't like when shit's shoved down our throat. We don't like when some shit is just, you just know when it's bullshit, man. Don't, you know, <laughs> don't, don't, don't try to feed me no crow, man. Speaking of which, how'd you like, um, your favorite team coming back to uh, SmackDown? Uh, wait, who? The Spirit, the Spirit Squad. Oh. <laughs> 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 no, the funny thing is, is like, <laughs> oh, you got jokes, man. <laughs> Jokes here, man. But the funny thing is, yeah, yeah. The funny thing is, is as as corny as that shit is, it's still not that bad, you know. At all. At all. At all. Uh, you know, you know what's crazy? 
I'm a, I call, I like to call myself a huge, uh, a real super fan. I'm a super fan. Right. I, I literally forgot that mother, that, that fucking Dolph Ziggler was part of the spirit squad. I forgot that. Me too. That's how long we've been in, that's how long we've been in golf with, with, with Dolph Ziggler. And, and that lets you know, like, wow, this motherfucking did come from the spirit. Hell no. We like this dude now? Oh. So, Kudos to the WWE for knowing how to repackage a motherfucker, man. Because, like, I never thought that I would like a dude from the Spirit Squad, but Dolph Ziggler is it. And, you know, I, well, bringing up Dolph, I hope somehow, some way, like, I don't know about everybody else, but when I see Dolph Ziggler, and Dolph Ziggler is the beast of a wrestler. Yeah. You can't take nothing away from his ability, the shit that you see him doing in the ring. Super dope. But you know what I see when I look at Dolph Ziggler? What's that? Shawn Michaels 2.0. That's what I see. Super kick. You know, it's always stuff that remind me of Shawn Michaels, from his gear to his boots to... It's like, you know, give me something. Give me a different gimmick. Give Give me something that I'm like, I don't think about something. When I look at him... I literally see Shawn Michaels, man, and that's not that, that you know. You could look at it as a compliment, but you could look at it as you know, uh, you know, uh, copying. You know, is the best form of flattery, you know. But I, that's what I see when I look at Dolph. So, you know, I, I hope somehow, somewhere, he gets a new game. Maybe he need to dye his head, come with some jeans on, or some shit like that. Because I'm like this whole. You know, like when I see his boots, his wrestling boots, that's Shawn Michael all day. A lot, a lot of his movements, he does the 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 super kick with the stomping before it, like, dude, dude. <laughs> it's like it's it's Straight almost up. it's almost like easier for him just to do that than try to, or I don't know if it's easier for him to just do that since over the years he was kind of on that lore, sort of border of getting over and being popular. And it just never sort of stuck, you know. There was times when he was super over with the crowd, but yeah, and the WWE dropped the ball at them times, man. Cause yeah, he was super over at one time, and like I get what they're trying to do now. To me, they to me they're trying to make up with lo- make up, you know, for lost time on the shit that they should have did the first time. But you know, I mean, I mean, if they decide to get him a run, good for him. But I just don't see it. Not in SmackDown, man. You know, AJ Styles is is the face to run that place. You know, so I, you know, it, it's good for people like me and you that have been rocking with AJ Styles way before the WWE years. Yeah. You know, for me, for me, I could sit up and be like, man, I've been watching that dude a long time. So to see him winning right now and have a part-time schedule because all he got to do is show up to SmackDown and I think weekend, you know, weekend road events or something like that, man. But, and he has control of all his merchandising, which a lot of wrestlers don't do. And that's because he, he decided to take the, the tech nine route and taking that tech nine route paid out for him you know, big time because, you know, he's not only the champion, but he owned all his own shit. So good for him. Yeah, definitely. And ever since he premiered, it's just been at Royal Rumble, man. It's just been high level since then, man. It's been great ever since. You know, there hasn't been 
everything's been super he's been doing some high level work doesn't matter who he is, you know he's been working with and that's something that he's always been good at whoever he's in the ring with like he actually makes them look better and is able to elevate the match doesn't matter what's going on you know that's what makes him so good you know what's so look you know what's super dope it's not a coincidence that his last name is styles <laughs> <laughs> definitely <laughs> I fucks with AJ, man. Good for him, man. Good or bad guy, I always rock with him. Right, definitely, definitely. All right, let's close out this, uh, you know, this week's knuckle up, uh, man. Like, I feel like these past two weeks, these first two uh, episodes, have been fucking phenomenal. I've had so much fun talking with about all this hip hop stuff and MMA stuff and pro wrestling stuff with you. And I feel like, man, this has been so much, you know, much more fun than I could ever. You know, ever thought it was going to be, you know, and how and, indeed, brother, <laughs> indeed, <laughs> right, man. I'm like, and I'm, you know, really loving it. So, um, yeah, before we close it out, you know, uh, tell everybody, you know, where they can find you online. All right, look, look before I even say that, I'm gonna give y'all like a quick bombshell of what's about to pop with V. Um, I told y'all about the album Thornton Melon. I'm very proud to say that, um, you know, I have 10 records on my album. You know, and I'm doing a Clash of the Titans Part 2. I'm not going to reveal who's on Clash of the Titans Part 2, but just know that it's coming. But I'm going to let you know this. I got production by Knotts. Woo! I got M.O.P. Hell yeah. I got Sky Zoo. Oh. And I got Bumpy Knuckles. Ooh. I ain't gonna say nothing else. <laughs> I ain't gonna say nothing else. But I got, you know, I'm coming, and you know, like, I hate to be like this. I don't be hearing my name, and, and, and you know, none of these little, you know, who doing this, what, what, and that's cool. I'm gonna let my music do the speaking, then I'm gonna let y'all speak. But y'all can check me out on Twitter, V Styles. V-S-T-Y-L-E-Z. Make sure you hit that Z, not the S. Same thing with uh, Facebook. Um, hit me with the full, forward slash official V-Styles. You know, spell the word official out with the V-Styles, V-S-T-Y-L-E-Z. On Instagram, hit me at the V-Styles, at V-Styles, V-S-T-Y-L-E-Z. And uh, I answer all, uh, you know, positive and, uh, you know, positive questions. And, you know, you got questions for me, hit me with them. If you hit me with some bullshit, chances are I might hit you with some derogatory shit and block you. But, you know, that's the name of the game. Um, get out yeah, that, uh, get out that it can be Matumbo. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> hit me there. Hey, 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 hey. And most importantly, you know, catch me at. <laughs> Fresh is the word every week. Knuckle up. All right. All right. See you next week. Goodbye. Peace out. Fresh, 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 fresh is the word.